Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey guys, I'm Carolina Hidalgo. And I'm Juan Camilo Saez, and we're here for our last podcast network. Our show, Escuela Sangre, is a weekly Spanish podcast where each week we talk about Hispanic true crime, serial killers, the supernatural folklore, and Walter Mercado. Icon. The cool thing about this show is that it's not just for native speakers, but also for anyone who wants to learn or brush up on their Spanish. Yeah! If you go to lastpodcastnetwork.com and click on ES Scripts, you'll find the scripts to our shows. The transcript is not a direct translation to the show since we improvise a fair amount here and there, but the narrative is as close as it gets, I promise. Sí, sí. Hemos hablado sobre Pedro López, sobrevivientes en los Andes Richie Valens Sacrificios Humanos de sí. los Aztecas Santería Santería Selena y Yolanda Historias Hispanas de México Colombia Perú España Brasil Puerto Rico Puerto Rico So if you want to hear about La Llorona Juana Barraza Pop star Gloria Trevi and her time in a sex cult Ooh. Escuela Sangre is the show for you You can find all the episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, or go to lastpodcastnetwork.com under shows. Los shows. So búscalo. Búscalo. Gracias, amigos. Bye. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. still something that haunts me. Oh yeah, what's that? Uh, from last week. Um, can you imagine going up to some place in the valley, going in for an audition, you're not really sure what it is, and you walk in, and you pull up, pick up the piece of paper, and the first thing it says, hi, I'm Henry Zabrowski, I'm here to play Glenn Borland. Oh right? my god, And then is This is what I'm supposed to do? Walk and out so is like, what you gotta do. That? It's just me going and be like, Oh, name's Glenn. Yep. Here for your children. <laughs> Want to drink the milk of your children? Well, just stick to the script, could you, Mr. Zabrowski? No reason to improv here. Well, I'm trying. You, I thought you wanted me to be Glenn Borland. That's I what know. Glenn Borland sounds just like. Pretend. <laughs> pretend his Tell name me. is Al. Just pretend his name is Al. You think if we put a baby next to your grandma's pussy, she'll start All making right. milk well, and thank you, Glenn. Again. Next, please. Okay, everyone. This is the last podcast of the left. I. Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hello, Ben. And with Henry Zabrowski. Now, I actually, I want to put on my little German Inquisitor hat here. Uh-oh. Oh, I have oh a, wait, hey, hey. I, Let's I not start with this. Does it I come have... from your grandfather's <laughs> no. antique trunk? No, I didn't get it from a family vault. Um, but I have a question for you, Henry. I was hearing on page seven um, that somehow you don't realize that the Los Angeles Rams are in the Super Bowl. Now, <laughs> the Rams, of course, you live in Los 
Angeles. Now, you know every kind of alien race. You know every yep. cryptid that's ever existed. Yes. How are you simultaneously one of the smartest yet dumbest people I've ever known? <laughs> How because you know- I have been up to my rapidly receding hairline in Mangala. Did you not see a sign that said, congratulations, Los Angeles Rams? I saw a bunch of people wearing hats walking down the street, and I thought it was some sort of racist rally. <laughs> I didn't know that it was a, I didn't know that it was a sports team. Yes, I am sort of. I, I am now aware that the LA Rams are playing the Super Bowl. Okay. To be honest, I didn't even know that it was this Sunday because yeah. Eddie asked me to come over. He's like, "Hey, I'll come over Sunday. We're having a little gobble And I was like, "Actually, uh, on Sunday, unfortunately, I will be recuperating from Jackie and I going to see Elton John this evening, so I will not be able to attend that party." And he's like. What if I beat you to death? <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> Wait, when did the Rams move from St. Louis? Are you kidding me? <laughs> How are you guys both? I'm okay. totally serious. I didn't know. They, they we're, were working on the from show. St. Louis. This is they what happens if we're <sighs> working on the show. Okay. All right. All right. So, and what uh, is it? Is that Kurt Rambis fella still play for Kurt them? Rambis played for the Lakers <laughs> in like the 80s, and that was basketball. This okay. is how I know they're not really the Los Angeles Rams, because they were the Los Angeles Rams. They would have changed their name to the Los Angeles Aries side. <laughs> <laughs> See? Come on, Kessler. <laughs> you, you can't hit me because I'm not in the room. <laughs> All right. Well, we are on after last week's, dare I say, exhausting uh, but important yeah. episode. Yeah. We are going to have a little bit more fun, although there's some uh, troubling information in this as well. Do so. Uh, however, there is a little bit of vengeance. We're going to cover Joseph Mengele Part 3. The the Nazi hunters? Pretty much, The hunt yeah. for the Nazis? The hunt for the Nazis. There's not a lot of vengeance. Some. There's um, some. I wish there's some. I wish there was more. Obviously, we all do. We all wish that there was a tour where Mengele's body was like put into a fucking box that you oh. could be sent from state to state to state, and you could hit his bones that with like a fun. rotten peach. Like that would be fun, but they don't oh. do that because That's of against the fucking wishes of people that want bodies to be held sacred to some fucking horse. <laughs> <laughs> but what we're hoping here is that we'll add a little dollop. Of feel better juice from last. Right. I would love to throw a tomato at the corpse of Mengele. That <laughs> That'd would be, be really fun. So fun. I'd love to throw a tomato at any corpse. See? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why don't we just start doing this? There's already a body trade. Why yeah. don't we buy a bunch of bodies from these illegal body sellers and start putting that show on the road? Call yeah. them like good corpse, corpse taunting. You know what? I'll start the trend after I die. Each of you are allowed to throw a tomato at my corpse. Ugh, I gotta go buy a tomato, huh? <laughs> All right. Thank you, Marcus. So when we last left Mangala, he, along with all the other SS rats, had fled Auschwitz in anticipation of the Russian Red Army's arrival on January 27th, 1945. By this point, Mangala had spent almost two years straight performing experiments. He was up to his gap-tooth, piece-of-shit smile in all of this horror. He had his assistants. So that was a thing I wanted to talk about last week that I didn't really get to, that Nisley, the man that wrote the book, basically being an eyewitness to Mengele's crimes, was sort of like his fucking macabre Igor, right? They were mm. completely against his fucking will entirely. He was Mengele had his slaves. He was fucking, he was crushing it for the Reich, and they were loving what he was doing. They started noticing getting sad, right, because they knew that the Germans are losing the war. And they said that Nisley was incredibly surprised because at one point, Mengele bemoaning what was about to happen to all of them in a moment forgetting of who he was and who Nisley was, handed him a cigar 
to share together in his office, which obviously, again, which is a house of fucking murder. Even putting yeah. a mouth on there, like, because with the red concrete floors and everything covered with fucking gore, but he's entirely pristine. And Nisley's like, you give me cigar. I am human. And Mangala's like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. And took the cigar back out of his hand saying, you can't have this. And they went back to their so, normal relationship. So he almost showed this like, weird form of humanity at the very well, end. I don't think I want to share a cigar with Mengele. No, Cigars no. are very disgusting. They're not to be shared. They're all smoked like Boss Hog from Dukes <laughs> of Hazard. They're soaking wet at the end. They literally drip when you take them out of your mouth. Yeah. Ah, no, that's not a that's not a sharing tobacco product. So remember, he was at the top, and now he's immediately getting chased out of fucking Valhalla. I yeah. think it would rather share chewing tobacco. Ugh. I think it would rather <laughs> chewing tobacco. Spin just would take, <laughs> take it out of one gum, put it in another. Do you want to be a favorite of the SS higher killer Kissel or not? So lay down on the ground. We're bi- we are mama birding this. <laughs> Spit tobacco juice in your throat. No, World War II was not quite over when Auschwitz fell, but the Russians, who did the majority of the fighting, killing, and dying when it came to taking down the Nazis, were nevertheless quickly on their way to Berlin. And yet, even as the Russians were tearing their way towards the capital from the east, and us Americans were just across the Elba River, there were still some Nazis who believed that just maybe everything was going to work itself out. Guys, just be cool for a second. Guys, be cool for a second. I'm thinking, maybe... Things are going to be cool. Why wouldn't they be? <laughs> Glenn Borland? Is that you? Uh, I watched a great documentary called Hitler in the Olympics. Yeah. And you mentioned them running, the Germans running to Berlin. And now I just think an Olympic sport needs to be fast goose stepping <laughs> because I think it would be like really funny looking. <laughs> that is a great documentary, though. Hitler in the Olympics. Check that one out. Well, Joseph Mengele was not one of the Nazis who thought that everything was just going to work itself out, that Hitler was going to pull out a buzzer beater, uh, a buzzer beater victory. Oh, he thought he was going to fucking Jordan it at the final, but that he was going to do the fadeaway, that that's all it was going to fucking take? Uh, even though Mengele had sent some of his Auschwitz files to his war crimes colleague, Professor von Verschur, Mengele also packed a few files as well as some blood slides from his victims in a suitcase and took it all with him on the road. But it's all nonsense work. It's all nonsense work. It's, all it's, of the, it. it's, it's like Walter's undies in The Big Lebowski is, is the <laughs> ringer. It's all nonsense. So by the time the Russians were walking through the gates of Auschwitz to pretty much immediately find 650 corpses upon their arrival, that's before they even started doing an investigation, Mengele was already 200 miles away at another concentration camp called Grossroven. Grossroven is where Mengele figured that it was probably a bad idea to keep walking around wearing an SS uniform, hmm. complete with a death's head lapel that specifically marked him as a concentration camp participant. So, Mengele took off his prized Waffen SS uniform and traded it for one belonging to the General Armed Forces, the Wehrmacht, which meant that Mengele now looked just like one of the millions of other Germans who were far less likely to be accused of war crimes. Mm. I feel like this is the first instance of a tiny bit of revenge, is that he worked so hard to get that uniform. That uniform was his pride and joy. He kept it immaculately clean. They all loved their shiny little death's heads fucking hats Mm -hmm. and all their bullshit and all their flair. They loved all that shit. And then he had to hide it. He had to burn it. 
immediately. And he would talk about, he's like, he hates these brown uniforms. They're not as fun as the black ones. It's just, <laughs> it's just not as fun to keep it clean. It's, yeah. We're going to get get used to Mengele bitching because I we've got it. Mengele bitching for the next fucking 30 years. Mengele bitching is something I can deal with every day. That's great. And Mengele, he had good reason to worry. Within just months of the liberation of Auschwitz, before the war was even over, Mengele's name and crimes were being announced on Allied radio reports. Mm. Now, I'm not sure whether or not Mengele knew this fact in particular, but he certainly had enough sense to know that people were going to be looking for him once the survivors of Auschwitz started talking, and Mengele also had enough sense to know that people were going to be pissed. Yeah, I think that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. Yeah. yeah. In fact, around that time, German soldiers had a saying, even as, or perhaps especially because they were losing, enjoy the war. For the peace will be savage. Yeah, because you're a bunch of fucking criminals. And everything that you were built on is on a sea of lies and hate. And they all have been at the time. They're like, you know, if we just pull this out, maybe people will think we're cool. And then it's like, no, no, they weren't, buddy. And they all no. knew it rapidly. Wow, that is such a German saying. Yeah. It's chilling. So Mengele joined a medical unit of Nazi soldiers and blended in on his way back west towards Germany from Poland while the unit tried staying ahead of the Russians. By May 2nd, Mengele had made it all the way through Poland and had gotten as far as modern-day Czechia Ooh. when he heard the news on the radio. Adolf Hitler had committed suicide in his bunker in Berlin, and the Nazi state had officially fallen. He started screaming. When he found it, he was like, Hitler would never do that. I know Hitler. I, I know him. I follow him on Instagram. He would yeah. never do that. And he got really, really upset because that was the whole thing, right? You're like, I can't believe of all the people in the world, Hitler would be a hypocrite. Unbelievable. <laughs> and of course, after the announcement of Hitler's suicide, it was followed by Get the Let Out Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a Led Zeppelin rock block, which is always my favorite because they play the same songs. You got to have those four Led Zeppelin songs <laughs> every afternoon at 4 p.m. because if not, I am going to start hitting other cars with my car in the commute. I know it. Well, soon after Hitler's suicide, Mengele and his new unit crossed over into Saxony and settled into a strip of land right in the middle of the Russians on one side and the Americans on the other. Yikes. So, in order to kind of save his ass a little bit, Mengele struck up a romantic relationship with a nurse hmm. and passed his Auschwitz notes to her for safekeeping. So, it's nice to meet you to name. What's your name, young young lady? Glen mm. Glenda Borland. <laughs> oh, oh, terrible name. Yeah. Tell me, do you have a sister, perchance? Yeah, Brenda Borland. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> terrible names. Terrible names. <laughs> what I love about you is that your eyes are so big and so blue. I just want to pop them out. You know what I mean? I just want to pop them out and I put them a little big and I want to send them to my boss. Man, you are romantic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that Mengele did pretty good with women. Yeah, he was getting laid. It's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> like throughout his life, he always did okay. Like he was because he was honestly he there, could be charming. He had that psychopathic charm that he could turn on. There is something with the with the gap tooth. Some people yeah. love a gap tooth. Madonna never should have. Madonna closed hers up. Remember? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think she should have. Well, when Mengele passed his notes to that nurse, he was more or less clean, and he was able to blend in with. 15,000 other trapped Nazi soldiers. Mm. And at first, 
Mengele didn't even want other Nazis to know who he actually was. Yikes. One of the guys who eventually helped Mengele escape knew almost immediately that Mengele was dirty, though, because every day during roll call, Mengele kept giving different names because he hadn't remembered what fake name he'd given the day before. Yeah, name is Commandant Winston Hamburger. <laughs> Did I? Yeah, yes. Yes, Vincent Hamburger. Actually, what did I say yesterday? I think it was uh, Colonel Sausage. Yeah, yeah, I can see. I can yeah. see how it was. Yesterday I was feeling Colonel Sausage. You know what I mean? Right. Seems like you're just kind of naming yourself after what we had for lunch. No, no, no. But you should meet my brother, uh, Mr. Ronald... Stool man sitting upon stool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he couldn't remember his own made up name. Yeah, he just kept ridiculous. giving different ones. They said he gave like five or six different ones. Oh my god. But on June 15th, American forces entered the forest where the Nazis were hunkered down and captured them, Mangala included. Now, at first, when the Americans asked Mangala who he was, Mangala used the surname of a famous Bavarian artist. He used the name Hans Memling. It's a good fake name. Is it good? Hans Memling's I, fine. I don't know. It just seems like, like, th- it seems like he's searching. Yeah. He's definitely searching. Yes, he is searching. Like, he doesn't know. He is new to running away. This is new. So this is, he's going to learn and get better as he goes. And he's going to get a fairly paranoid about it. Mm-hmm. I would hope so. But an old friend who just happened to be in the same camp as Mangala convinced him that it was dishonorable to use an alias. It was beneath the behavior of an SS sure. officer to use an alias. Sure. You are a torturer from the movie Hostel. Dishonorable. Dishonorable. That's dishonorable. dishonorable. That's, it's dishonorable to lie. It's just, but cutting apart twins <laughs> is fine. Yeah. Okay. You know how it is. They compartmentalize their weird ass morality. Everything has to be like, it's, it's in the moment. This right. is correct. Yeah. Okay. So Mangala told camp authorities his real name. He just didn't tell them his rank. Uh. He said, yes, I am Joseph Mangala, but he did not tell them I am a Waffen SS officer. Mm. Uh, But the thing was, nothing happened even after Mangala came clean. See, when it comes to the end of World War II, all we usually see is footage of people in New York or London. They're kissing each mm. other. They're hugging. They're holding parades. There's confetti everywhere. Everything oh, looks yeah. fantastic. What we don't see usually, unless we go looking for it, is the hellish, chaotic underworld that much of mainland Europe had become over the previous seven or eight years. What Dogmeat elucidated to me as we were going through this topic, right? Because I wanted, we were talking about covering the the crimes and the the escape of Dr. Mangala. And at some point, Dogmeat was like, do you understand that this story overlaps some of the most complex issues of modern history uh, that <laughs> exist? And I was just like, yeah, 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 you'll do it, you'll do it. You'll be fine, you'll be fine. Order, don't order the dominoes that I ordered yesterday. It is coming back to haunt me. No, we're not going to go into the specifics right now as far as what happened after World War II in Europe, because honestly... 
I do not have the energy for a whole new chapter of war crimes, uh, except this time perpetrated by the Russians instead of the pussy. Germans. <laughs> Somebody's a pussy. Uh oh! Wow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We got yeah. the troll farm oh, over yeah. here. We got the Russian troll farm over here. Just no, it was absolutely horrific. Oh yeah, I mean, you can, it was it was fucking. Uh, there, there's a um, what's it called? I think it's called the Savage Piece uh, okay. on a documentary on Netflix that I, I watched. Uh, yeah, I just don't. I don't have the energy to go into it. It's out there if you want to know about. It, uh, but it's fucking awful. It's Things got awful. fucked up. Yes, when they- the Germans left their their vacuum of power, which was all based on total horror, the kickback against that. Oh yeah, was seemed to be uh, absolutely mind boggling. Absolutely, people, people got a lot of people got punished. Yeah. Oh yeah, a lot of murders on the streets. There's great documentaries about it. Yeah. If you want to go check those out. In France, they used to just publicly shave the heads of German women, and there was a mm. lot of sexual assault, a, a lot, lot of horrible of things assault. that happened. Well, that was French women who had um, slept with German soldiers. Oh, they okay. The heads of. But in the midst of all this chaos, the Allies were still on the lookout for Nazi war criminals. There were just so many Nazis that a couple of shortcuts were needed to look out for the worst ones. Mm. And unfortunately, those shortcuts led to a lot of Nazis slipping through the net. Now, to give you an idea of just how many Nazis there really were, by the end of the war, 8.5 million Germans officially belonged to the Nazi party. Wow. And there was no way in hell that the Allies were even going to check all those people, much less prosecute them. So they had to narrow it down. Part of this was to cross-reference lists of known war criminals with captured Waffen-SS members, known far and wide to be Hitler's most vicious dogs. And luckily for the Allies, it was easy to pick out the Waffen-SS, even if they changed uniforms. Oh. That's because it was custom among Waffen-SS members to get a tattoo on the underside of their left arm of their blood type, just in case they needed a battlefield transfusion and just happened to be unconscious. Okay. So, when the Allies saw one of these goofy tattoos, the SS member's name would be taken and cross-referenced with the Central Registry of War Criminals and Security Suspects, or CROCAS. CROCAS! CROCAS! CROCAS eventually held 60,000 names, and Joseph Mengele was near the top of the first edition. But unfortunately, Mengele had opted out of getting the Waffen-SS tattoo because he was too vain to damage his pretty skin. Really? Yeah, dude. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. According to his wife, Irene, Mengele would stand in front of a full-length mirror, <laughs> preening himself, admiring the smoothness of his own skin. Ugh, he is totally Buffalo Bill in this, too. Danny, <laughs> no, he's Irene, that thing. would you fuck me? Would you fuck me? <laughs> oh, I'd fuck me. Wouldn't you, Dr. Mangala? Yes, Dr. Mangala. I just had, I had this image of him in front of a mirror going, I'm Joseph Mingala, the prettiest boy in town. <laughs> prettiest boy who's ever lived. Prettiest boy in the world, except for Hitler. Except for Hitler. How much I wish to see Hitler's dick over here on the top of my pale knee. <laughs> Disturbing imagery, to say the least. Uh, yeah, and he thought that a tattoo <laughs> would ruin the beauty of his skin. Okay. And uh, since he didn't have the SS tattoo, and he told the Americans, yes, my name is uh, Yosef Mengele, they uh, didn't check the list. 
Okay. They didn't check the SS list because as far as they were concerned, he was a part of the Wehrmacht. He was a part of the ar- regular armed forces. Mm. Uh, they weren't and- like, oh, Meng- Mengele from Mengele Tools? We love Mengele <laughs> Tools here. <laughs> Listen to who's hammering? We love that joke. <laughs> No, the speed with which we Americans process prisoners in these detention camps definitely contributed to Mengele slipping through our fingers. But we didn't really have much of a choice when it came to how fast we processed them. Mm. See, just because Germany was defeated didn't mean that the 60 million plus Germans still living in Germany just went back to their normal lives like nothing had happened. The cities had been reduced to rubble and the fields had been burnt, which meant that somebody had to rebuild the country so the people wouldn't starve. And a lot of the able-bodied men were in the army. Germany was so tapped out when it came to soldiers that when the Russians finally invaded Berlin in 1945, they were fighting mostly old men and children. Honestly, that's a scary fight. (laughs) What are they going to do? Take them high, take them low. And then the kids got the spunk. The old folks got the wisdom. I I mean, honestly, it's like kindergarten cop all over again. But an army of kindergarten cop. An army of kindergarten cop. It was, I I mean, it really, I mean, it was terrifying for the kids because all of a sudden you've got 9, 10, 11-year-old kids that are given machine guns. And saying, go get the Russians. Keep the Russians out. You're the last line of defense. I mean, guys, I know if it's we bleak, like, but yeah, if it's we kind all, of fun at the same <laughs> time. If we were all 11 years old at the same time. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Being nine years old, giving you a fucking machine gun, saying, go kill all these Nazis. I just got done playing Wolfenstein. You know what I mean? I'm nine, <laughs> ten years old. I literally just stopped playing Wolfenstein. You give me this fucking machine gun. I'm going to go fucking to Glorious Bastards, man. I'm never yeah. coming back. No, no. These were not the Russians that were doing this. These were the Germans no, that I were know. doing this. The Germans were being, the, the, it was the Nazis that were doing I it. I know, but you heat up the gun after you shoot it a bunch, you could put a hot dog on there. <laughs> and next thing you know, you're grilling dogs with your boys. If we were all 11 years old and we were in the army, that would be kind of fun. That's when I could have been more safe from the horrors of it. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people. That's when you get the pushback from people saying the lost children armies of Africa and various nations with these uh, traumas built into generation after generation. Right. But I'm saying, what if it was fun. <laughs> what if it was fun? Yeah, remember that when Coney Coney twenty 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 twelve. Yeah, he yeah. Went, that guy went crazy. Yeah, remember he showed up naked in that neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, well, I remember I went to fucking go get an engagement ring for Natalie, and I made a joke to the jeweler. He's just like, "So, what kind of diamond are you looking for?" And I was like, "Actually, I was looking for one of those blood diamonds." And then I sat, I was like laughing to myself, and um, they did not take that. As a joke. They were very serious about it, and they got very upset. Yeah, I think they probably have an, an immense amount of guilt working in the diamond trade. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Well, Germany weren't the only ones who were completely tapped out when it came to resources and men. The Allies were tapped out as well. Hell, we here in America, we still had the Japanese to take out at this point. We'd Damn. made so many Purple Hearts in anticipation of the invasion of mainland Japan. That we're seriously, we are still issuing Purple Heart medals that were made in the 40s to this day really that has got to be kind of scary if you're going into war and you're like hmm why are you guys making all those purple hearts are just for people <laughs> no who like reason. almost die in battle just like, to make sure just, just to, make, to see make sure we're covered yeah. seems like you're just are you sending me to, to die or the odds are good <laughs> <laughs> okay it's a lot of a lot of purple hearts and you know the other thing was is that we also knew 
that we had the Ruskies to deal with even after the Japanese. Mm. And conversely, the Soviets knew they had to worry about us as well. Why do we start fighting them so soon? Uh, just, that's I a whole d- thing. It's a whole thing. <laughs> that's a, thing. That's a oh, big, gigantic, okay. huge fucking question that uh, honestly, there man, is no clear answer to. Right, I wish well, we could go back to the good old dumb. days of the Cold War, man. Oh. On one enemy? Yeah. Oh, the Russians were a great enemy. Yeah, the Russians were a fantastic <sighs> enemy. Scary, too. Yeah, very yeah. scary. <laughs> I but, like Putin's head. <laughs> <laughs> But the point is, Germany needed people to begin rebuilding immediately. So the faster the Nazis were processed, the faster that was going to happen, and the faster everyone could get back to a regular life. Whatever the fuck that looked like in 1945. Fucking watching old-timey Walt Disney cartoons, drinking a lot of milk. I don't really, I don't know a lot about 1945. Eating things out of tin little boxes. That was a big fun thing I saw. Like yeah. chemistry sets that you could explode your whole house that they gave to children for some totally. reason. Totally. I always liked when you could peel back what you had to eat like a grenade. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it was nothing but weird salted fish. Yeah. <laughs> Now, there have been rumors over the years that because Mangala was held for two months by us Americans and was never arrested, the rumor is that we took him under our wing and employed him as a scientist. Now, while we did employ quite a few Nazis, including Dr. Hubertus Strughold. That's not real. <laughs> that man is full of jelly. That man is not a real person. <laughs> That is a strudel oh, person. Mean I am real. I can be full of jelly and still be a man. If I have the mind of a man and the jelly penis of a man, am I not a man? I guess so. Yeah, Hubertus Strughold, uh, he was an actual concentration camp doctor. Uh, oh. And his human experiments in pressurization helped take us to the moon. Oh, uh, oh yeah. yeah. It wasn't just like Werner von Braun that we brought over with Operation Paperclip. Like, All of this is, I'm going to be honest, the part of this whole series is literally a lead up to us eventually doing an entire series in Operation Paperclip. Yes. But this is just shows how bad Mengele was at science is that we didn't take him specifically. <laughs> Interesting. So is this, if you, uh, I don't know, what was the name of the movie about Unit 731? The, uh, the uh, Man people, Behind the Sun. Man Behind the Sun. Was it? Like that, there's a scene in there where they're working on pressurization. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yes. Uh, there's video of it. You can go watch okay. it. Yeah. it. It shows up in a few uh, Holocaust documentaries. Disgusting. Uh, the uh, what uh, Doctor Hubertus Strughold did. Okay, uh, but we didn't take Mangala. And uh, Mangala, while he was in captivity, he thought that there was no way that he was getting out of his capture by the Americans alive. So Mangala fell into a deep depression. And as a result, he was treated by a senior physician named Colonel Fritz Ullmann and Mangala came clean about Auschwitz during his treatment. One of the only people that he came clean to. Because yeah. he never told anybody else exactly mm. what he did in Auschwitz. Yeah. But instead- so we're talking to this, who I guess is the great-great-grandfather of Tracy Ullman. <laughs> really? <laughs> Which is terrifying for her. Great show, great show. <laughs> but instead of turning Mengele over to the authorities, Ullman gave Mengele a copy of his own identification papers, saying, you need this shit more than I do. So from that moment on, Mengele lived as Fritz Ullman in post-war Germany. I do want to see, like, the Mengele Prozac ad, where he's just, like, a cloud is over his head, and it's just raining everywhere he goes, like Eeyore. Have you spent two years in a stinky dungeon doing things that nobody cares about? (laughs) 
I understand your pain. I was a very good scientist that thinks no one should be a scientist about. So that's why I take mix-em-ups. <laughs> it turns your frowns upside down. Oh, it's a mix-em-up. Which I tried to do with several experiments, and I tell you what, what happens when you medically turn someone's frown upside down, they die. Uh, so it does not yes. That seems to make sense. We learned that from the Joker. Mm-hmm. Are you looking for a new horror thriller movie to see in theaters? Then look no further, because Orion Pictures' The Prodigy hits theaters on February 8th. And we have to tell you, it's one crazy ride filled with twists and shocking revelations. Orange is the New Black's Taylor Schilling stars in her much-anticipated foray into the horror thriller genre in The Prodigy as Sarah, a mother whose young son Miles' disturbing behavior signals that a malicious, possibly supernatural force has overtaken him. Fearing for her family's safety, Sarah must choose between her maternal instinct to love and protect Miles and a desperate need to investigate what or who is causing his dark turn. She's forced to look for answers in the past, taking the audience on a wild ride, one where the line between perception and reality becomes frighteningly blurry. Find out what's wrong with Miles, played by Jackson Robert Scott, who starred as Georgie in 2017's It, when The Prodigy hits theaters on February 8th. Meanwhile... Jews who had survived the concentration camps or had lost family members to the Nazis, they were starting to recover. And for many of them, there was only one word on their mind. Vengeance. Yes. Well, perhaps the most reckless of these was a group of 50 Holocaust survivors who named themselves, I think in Hebrew it's Nechem, which roughly translates in English to the Avengers. In what was definitely a case of two wrongs not making a right, the uh, Nehem planned to poison the water supplies of major German cities in a bid to kill millions of non-combatant Germans. They wanted, their plan was to kill six million Germans. They called it a nation for a nation. And Ooh. they almost pulled it off. The only reason why they didn't do it was because they were caught bringing huge quantities of poison back from Palestine on a boat and the British caught them and just made them throw it overboard and they were like, we understand you're upset, but we can't let you do this, mm. so dump the poison and then we'll just kind of call it quits. Yes, what if so we they dump- went to kill fucking SpongeBob? <laughs> They're going to do a fucking full genocide on the, on the undersea world of Ariel and Sebastian the yeah, exactly. Like, what if we just dump the water in the lake that we were going to? Does that work? Everyone knows if you want to poison a water supply, you have to become governor and have corporate support yes. to reroute the water supply like they did in Flint, and then it's legal. And then it's fine. And you're still the governor. Well, that was plan A. When plan A fell apart, the Avengers moved to plan B, which was the much more reasonable plan to poison SSPOWs in American custody at Nuremberg by painting the bottoms of 3,000 loaves of bread with a mixture of arsenic and glue. Well, the New York Times reported that 2,283 German prisoners got sick, with over 200 sick enough to be hospitalized. But since the poison was spread too thinly, Mm. no SS officers officially died, although it's suspected that we Americans were just too embarrassed to admit that quite a few of them actually did. It's suspected that quite a few of them did die. Okay. But in other parts of Europe, Nazis were 
definitely getting what was coming to him. In the weeks after the war, there were at least 1,000 public executions of Nazis in occupied countries all over Europe, with some executions resulting from trials that lasted only five minutes. Yep. But the problem with vigilante justice like this was that quite a few innocent people were murdered in the process, some for being only ethnically German, essentially dying for the sins of the fatherland, mm. uh, and especially in places like Croatia. Uh-oh. And that's why you found so many sombreros in your grandfather's trunks back in the day, because he was just like, no, 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 just a simple Mexican traveling through Germany. <laughs> what? Just, yeah, just, trying, yeah. just trying, like, oh, Uruguay. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. You know, the, the, they export a lot of talc from Uruguay. Yeah, we should go. <laughs> Well, Uruguay's a beautiful place. Beautiful beaches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really nice. I think There's, it's estimated that somewhere, they're not really sure, but somewhere between 500,000 and a million Germans were uh, murdered mm. uh, immediately Woo. following World Shit. War II. Yeah. But following his release from the American camp, Mengele made it back to Bavaria just fine. The worst that happened was that he lost his original identification papers after hiding them in the handlebars of a bicycle he borrowed from an old man. There's never been a more humble way of escaping war crimes than that. Like in a tiny little antique bicycle, it might as well have been in the pail of a, the bottom of a pail of milk that he got from a fine steer while he was making his bratwurst. All right. Yeah, I can't think of Mengele on a bicycle for some reason. It's a strange image, he, isn't it? He did it? it quite a bit. We yeah. talked about it in the last episode. Yeah. He loved his little bicycle. He loved yeah. his little bikes. He would show up. He would ride his bicycle around Auschwitz uh, a lot. Ring, Man, ring, quite ring, a bit. Ring. Like, yeah. Can you mention how scary that becomes oh, yeah. when it's God. fucking Mengele? Well, when Mengele arrived about 50 miles away from his hometown of Goonsburg at the door of his friend, Dr. Miller, Mengele almost immediately said, quote, Don't believe everything you hear about me. It's not true. And that's all how you always want to open. Yeah, when you meet honestly. friends for a while and they maybe suspect you're guilty of, like, massive genocide or all stuff, it's always good to start with... It was lies. It was lies. Believe wow. in nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a hell of an intro. The thing is, though, is the people totally bought it. See, to many people in post-World War II Germany, even if they weren't Nazis, they refused to believe the atrocities of the Holocaust. Because you got to remember, these are people that have been fed a steady stream of Nazi bullshit mm-hmm. for years upon years upon... They don't know what the fuck is true and what's not. It was also against all propriety yeah in germany you never asked anybody what they were doing during the war because really right. the only way you can answer is doing the no 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 i don't see anything no 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 just covering your eyes and covering right. your ears yep yeah but that was the uh that was the rule in germany is that you didn't talk about the war until someone else brought it up first and that went double with the ones down in south america right uh, because those were what if you the people germans in south america knew that if you were in South America, you were there for a reason. You had to hang out at the beautiful beaches. <laughs> what aren't you guys understanding about Uruguay? These are gorgeous places with wonderful people, great seafood. Well, to these people in Germany, right after the war, the news coming out about the concentration camps was nothing more than allied propaganda. And this is just a trickle of facts that was coming out over the airwaves. Mm. I mean, these people were still 
far away from even discovering the existence of things like the Einsatzgruppen. Ugh. Now, Mengele was almost arrested that very night at Dr. Miller's house, but not because the Americans were looking for Mengele. They were after Dr. Miller. So Mengele just hid in a back room and waited for them to leave. Just put a lampshade on his head. <laughs> like, no, Dr. Mengele, he had just this very sexy lamp. Don't you want to see the smooth body of this lamp, the hairless, untattooed, sweet German torso of this lamp? <laughs> Thinking about him, thinking about his skin, is making my skin crawl. Oh, inspired by the near miss, Mengele decided to leave that very night and travel to the part of Germany that was controlled by the Russians so he could locate the nurse who was holding his Auschwitz notes. Because mm. he figured by this point he was damn close to losing them, and there was no way in hell he was going to lose it now. Well, after Mangala retrieved the notes, he traveled to Munich, where he stayed with an old war buddy for the next month, moaning about how he was innocent and that he'd never killed or hurt anyone. According oh. to Mangala, all of the prisoners who had participated in his experiments were volunteers who were well compensated for their time and effort with extra rations and nicer quarters. Yeah, like when my, when my buddy was really broke in college and went to do all those medical tests. <laughs> like it a was volunteer. Like that. Yeah, you just volunteered. Yeah. Man, you know what, though? War stories are very fun to hear. Mm -hmm. Remember going to the bar when you were a kid and you would hear from like the non people and uh, they would just sit there. Did you ever do that when you were growing up? No. No. The VFW in Stevens Point was badass. And you just hear these incredible stories and they all laugh at parts where they're like, and then we lost Donnie. And then they laugh. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. what's funny about this? But it's very morbid conversation. Mm -hmm. But only if it's funny stories and not just the grumblings of a man trying to hide his war crimes. Yeah. Like right. my uncle can't talk about Vietnam because he was put into a fucking, we talked about this. In a bamboo cage for two years, and he can't even go past a noodle shop. Like he freaks out. Like he'll throw well, a trash can at a Bon Me store, especially and that's bad because <laughs> in Brooklyn they're popping up like crazy. Oh, and they're very good. Don't don't destroy those, please. Well, Mengele's idea was to turn himself in and let his name be cleared at trial. But Mengele's friend told him that that was a really fucking stupid idea. So Mengele was passed off to Fritz Ullman's brother-in-law for his next hiding spot. In Mengele's autobiography, written years later, Mengele called this man Wieland. Wieland was not an official Nazi, but he was still a Holocaust denier from the beginning, once again thinking that it was all Allied propaganda. So, he did his best to help hide Mengele, and in October of 1945, Wieland helped Mengele get a job at a dairy and potato farm owned <laughs> by a couple named George and Maria Fisher, who had no idea who it was that was actually working for him. Dairy and potato is the nastiest combination yeah, for a farm. <laughs> like, that must smell just horrendous. It's just called, it's just basically a how to make gigantic Bavarian ankles. Just fill yourself with dairy and starch. But this is the beginning of Mengele's slide into becoming a full on farm worker. Mm -hmm. And guess what this city boy did not enjoy? What's that? Working the farm. Yeah. <laughs> this is so when we talk about vengeance. I mean, farm work is a respectable job. Uh, Absolutely. But he does not like it. So that's a little bit. It's a tiny little bit. It's a amount. tiny little it's, bit. I mean, it's just, I mean, it is a sliver. He couldn't be clean. No. That's for sure. No. Right? no. He's covered so in dirt. Good. He's got one of those floppy Hummel hats on and they're weird German overalls. He's covered in dirt. And it's him just being like, I was an FSS officer. <laughs> I was in charge of looking at old. I had files. 
I had files, and they're all like him screaming at potato patches. I don't know how <laughs> potatoes are grown. I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're, they're tubers. Roots. They're tubers. They're a root. It's What'd you a- call me? Tuber. <laughs> <laughs> hey, get out of here, you tuber. Hey, <laughs> dumb tuber. Yeah, you're being a real Glenn Borland right now. Right? Get out of here. Leave Whoa. my grandmother alone. Stop asking her for milk. <laughs> So on the day Mengele arrived at the farm, he immediately took advantage of the fisher's kindness by eating them out of house and home. One fisher brother said, and this is a direct quote, He drank milk by the liter. I have never before seen a man who drank so much milk. This is, he is such an asshole. Yeah. Like he is just, so they welcome him into his home and then he drank all the milk. He drank every bit of milk that they had. Milk used to be like an energy drink. Yeah. <laughs> now we're not so. supposed to drink it anymore because of the fats, but I still like it. Yeah. Not as much as Jackie though. Jackie drinks a whole mangala of milk every night before going to sleep. <laughs> really? She's still yep. doing milk. You're supposed to get off of milk when you're an adult. It's, it's bad for you. I love milk. You're supposed to be off of it. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah. That's where you got to call a full glass of milk from now on, though, if you want to have milk. You got to call it a full Mangala. (laughs) Yeah, and then we'll see how much you're drinking. Now, the Fishers knew that Mangala was definitely a high-ranking Nazi on the run because he'd given given himself away with his educated Bavarian accent and his smooth as silk hands. Are you jealous of my hands? (laughs) I would be if I wasn't me, but I'm me. I'm Dr. (laughs) Mangala. Roots, <laughs> pancaken, steinen, gleipen. Your name is pa- Roots, st- pancaken, steinen? Yeah, come be a noble name. Come, they used to name you after the jobs you did. And my family, we used to put pancake batter into beer. Steins. <laughs> That's right. Get, get, I, I've got to be with the potatoes. The potatoes must be put in order. I'm just here to ask you not to drink all the milk. <laughs> well, to the fishers like Mengla. He was just a young German that was down on his luck that they were helping out. Ugh. They just didn't know that it was capital J, capital M, Josef Mengele. Jeez. For four years, Mengele woke up at 6.30 a.m. every day and shoveled shit, then had breakfast at 7 a.m. The rest of the day was spent milking cows, pulling potatoes, and cutting hay until supper. And then he went to bed. And that was Mangala's day. Every single day. Mr. Mangala, could you please stop milking the cows only with your mouth? Because it's tainting all of the milk that you then get out. I will get the milk as I see fit. No one no one wants to believe that there's a means to an end. Okay? And this is how we get the milk my way. The the, Patrick, the pancake stein of Rippenstein way. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast... Your dog. That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You bet your dog. But you're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox decides and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats and oh they love their life and they love the they love what bark box brings because bark box brings the bark and puts it in a box yep 
To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash L-E-F-T. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why, as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah, getting to about 365, seeing where they're at. See if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Uh, as Mangala worked for the family more and more, he started to open up just a little bit because at first he wouldn't say a goddamn word. And eventually the family grew fond of him, especially after one Christmas day when Joseph Mangala played Santa Claus. Oh my god. That That's about right. That's not it's a right. horror That's movie. Horrible. It's <laughs> oh, fucking no. horrible. Jesus Christ. But Mengele hated every second of it. To keep himself sane, Mengele switched on his psychopathic brain and started doing selections just as he'd done on the ramps at Auschwitz. And this is true. On the farm, he was doing it with potatoes. Really? This yep. is what he wrote in his journal about the potato selection process. And this is, and this is a very true, this direct quote. Unbelievable. 
one had to take a scientific approach to sort out the edible, fodder, and seed potatoes. The frequency of the various sizes followed the binomial distribution according to the Gauss diagram. The medium sizes, therefore, are the most plentiful, and the very small ones and the very big ones are much less frequent. But since the fishes wanted more medium-sized potatoes, I moved the border of the selection for the potatoes for consumption accordingly, and in this way, I obtained more potatoes for consumption than usual. In this way, my mind was kept active. All right, well, you know, I just want to tell him your job is going to be lost to automation in 30 years, <laughs> and all of your all of your hard work is useless once again. Mm-hmm. He was a better farmer than he was a scientist. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But while Mengele was playing with potatoes, the Allies were forming a mechanism to prosecute the atrocities that had been committed by the Nazis, because there was no precedence for any of this shit. Mm. Eventually, that resulted in the Nuremberg Trials. Now, the Allies had identified several hundred thousand Nazis the one might call evil as fuck. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But at yeah. Nuremberg, only 22 Nazis were tried, mostly senior leaders. Now, these trials had two purposes. One was punishment, obviously, mm-hmm. but in holding actual trials, the crimes of the Third Reich became a part of the historical record as actual evidence, which the Allies thought would make this whole Holocaust thing indisputable. Right. Because they knew that Holocaust denial was going to happen. They figured if we put it on trial, there's no way in hell people are going to be able to deny it. But what has the internet taught us? You write it down, and no matter what, people, no matter what happens, can always say, no, no, <laughs> no, it no. didn't, though. And they just say that, and it becomes valid, because then they also wrote it down. Yeah. Right. Well, the first time Mengele's name came up in the Nuremberg trials was in April 1946 during the trial of Rudolf Huss, the commandant at Auschwitz who had raised his family within the camp's confines behind the white picket fence. By October, 10 of the top 12 Nazis condemned to death were hung at Nuremberg while Huss was taken all the way back to Auschwitz to be hung in his own front yard. Ooh. Gotcha, bitch. All right. All except one of these Nazis, though, went to their death as proud, with some shouting Heil Hitler as their sentence was carried out. And it was a sloppy job, too. But the sloppy job might have been done on purpose. So we covered executioners. You're thinking these guys, they're not doing it. They're not doing a great job of it on purpose. Well, as we heard in our executioners episode, the British hangman, he went, he did his duty. He did it fast. He did it efficiently. uh, But... Our guy. Oh, this is an American hangman. <laughs> oh, this so is an American. Sweating bullets. Yeah, and this guy showed up and he's like, hey guys, if you really want somebody to fuck this up, but in a fun way, hire an American. <laughs> the Matthew McConaughey of hangmen. All right, all right, all right, I'll do it. I won't do it well and I won't do it fast, but I'll do it. Smile on my face. <laughs> yeah, they brought in a guy that was described as uh, beefy. Hey, uh, he right. 35-year-old dude from Kansas named John Woods. I love him. Oh, yeah. I love Johnny John Woods. Woods. <laughs> uh, two of the Nazis that Woods hanged took almost 20 minutes to die. And it was... At some point, he's just grabbing them by their ankles, jumping up and down. Just like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he's to do. He's probably just like tickling them and shit, being like, <laughs> the 
they're laughing at it. They're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it was highly suspected that Woods botched the job on purpose because sure. uh, Woods had a deep hatred for Germans and for Nazis in particular. Okay. That's a probably healthy. It's healthy. Yeah. And it's a good way to put He's the one who really got it out of his system for everybody. They must have really been jealous of him. Yeah, yeah absolutely. See, he's the guy I want to hear telling the stories at the bar. Yeah. I'm, and then I fucked it up this way. And they're like, why aren't you dying? I'm like, I know Whoa. why I'm not fucking dying. But it doesn't matter because I'm just the one fucking doing it. They asked me, John Woods, to do something. My mom doesn't even let me touch, go into the kitchen because she says I'm going to fuck shit up. When I filled up my application, I lied. I've never executed anybody before. My whole shit is like, you know what? I like TV. TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, after that, in December, the infamous doctor's trials took place. 23 SS doctors, many of whom we discussed in our first two episodes, were tried for conspiracy, war crimes, crimes against humanity, and membership in criminal organizations. Those were just the broad strokes. Mm -hmm. Specifically, the trials were about mass euthanasia, sterilization, and human experimentation. So, and that's the thing. So we only went through, like, Mengele's experimentation last episode. We didn't talk about, like, the shit they did at Ravensbrook, where they stuffed wounds with wood shavings right. and gauze strips and infected with bacteria so they could simulate battlefield conditions to see what the best antiseptics were to use to heal them. Yes, and trying to figure and also trying to figure out a way to use gigantic x-ray machines to sterilize people in one big go. Mm -hmm. That was the idea. A lot of the of the other side of all of this experimentation was trying to right. figure out how to sterilize whole populations of human beings. And of course they did perfect that technology. You can see it at the airport every time you go through security. Whoa. What are they doing? Hot take from what Kissel. are they doing? No, 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 no. We have TSA listeners, and I don't want to be fucking hassled. All right? So they do their job. Well, out of the 23 doctors on trial, seven doctors were sentenced to death, while five were given life in prison. Even in the face of these verdicts, though, Joseph Mangala still tried to justify his actions, even though his family knew that capture meant guaranteed execution. Mm. So, the Mengele family went to great lengths to convince the American authorities that Joseph was dead. Irene even went so far as to regularly go to the local Catholic church dressed in black, asking a priest to pray for her dead husband's soul. In reality... Irene and their son Rolf were visiting <laughs> Joseph just about every. I forget. Yeah, I forgot to tell you that uh, Joseph Mengele's son is named Rolf. Yeah. Why do you yes. just like what? What if we? What if mm, do we? How do we make sure he's fat? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, no. And Jim Henson actually stole the name for the beloved dog, which is unfortunate <laughs> really? that I didn't know. I'm really. I'm sad that Jim Henson was such a massive Mengele fan. But if you look at the puppets and you can see his own obsession with creating little felt things that he could do whatever he wants. Their buttholes. I can see the connection. Yeah, sure. I could see Kermit ogling himself in the mirror as well about his beautiful skin. <laughs> well, yeah, Irene and their son Rolf, they were visiting uh, Joseph just about every other month down on the farm where Mengele was working. But since we Americans were starting to lose interest and we were in charge of looking for Mangala, we believed the Mangala family. And on January 19th, 1948, Brigadier General Telford Taylor wrote, typo and all, we wish to advise our record show, Dr. Mengerly is dead as of October 1946. You can't Crack get work. it right, huh? You, you can't Crack get work, the man. name right Again, on this one. Again, if you want to get it done wrong, but in a fun way, ask an American. <laughs> Mengerly. See, after Nuremberg, the American focus shifted away from the Nazis 
to a little thing called the Cold War. Ah. Uh. Now, we would be hard-pressed here at Last Podcast on the Left to cover something more complicated than the Cold War between the United States and Russia. But yeah, it doesn't even matter, man. It's because it's a Cold War. Nothing fucking happened. <laughs> a lot of people died. Uh, it wasn't good. <laughs> a lot of proxy war. Yeah. war Why did they call it a hot war? Viet- Vietnam. Vietnam. Uh, you heard I remember about Vietnam. Co- co- Korea. Oh, yeah, Korea. I love Korea. <laughs> oh, you're talking about the war. Yeah, the war was, was bad. The war was bad, but Korea is a nice place. The Forgotten War. My grandfather was in that. Mm-hmm. Herb. Her. He, he fought hard, fought long. Didn't have to go yeah. to Uruguay. Didn't like to vacation, I guess. <laughs> I guess not. I don't know. <laughs> long story short, in this context, Germany, after the war, was split up between American occupation in the West and Russian occupation in the East. And the Russians were rapidly becoming enemy number one for us Americans. So... Right or wrong, it was, in our view at the time, a hell of a lot more important for America to have a close ally in West Germany than it was to hunt down and prosecute Nazis. Mm. Plus, continuing to prosecute Nazis didn't really work from a long-term propaganda perspective. You couldn't have JFK going out there saying, Ich bin ein Berliner. Do it correct, Marcus. Ich bin ein Berliner. Thank you. Except... All you fucking Nazis that were still going to hunt down and hang. Yeah, that's where it takes a right turn. Yeah. And they get, you got to know your audience because yeah, he's in Berlin. And so you got to make sure you don't want them turning against you. We saw what the happened the last time we let Berlin all get together and make a bunch of decisions. <laughs> so it's good. good to just keep it light. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in that speech, yeah, that was 1963. That occurred almost 20 years after the end of World War II. But if the Allies were to prosecute every Nazi that committed a crime worth prosecuting— We'd still be trying those fuckers today. Let's do it. To be fair to the Germans after the war, they were very sorry to channel my inner Canadian. <laughs> and um, they were they were a very good ally. Yeah. They were a well, very, they were like, whatever you want. They, we won't have a military. Like, just give us some cash. We will do whatever you want. Yeah, and I mean, now they them. run shit again. Well. Yeah, dude. Kissel, <laughs> they're honestly. They're much better. Angela they're, remember, much better now. Yes. They were cowed, but that was only a part of it. And how much of it was a fucking act? And how much of it was then felt deeply, uh, created deep resentment within the German people, which is what kept all of the hiding of the Nazi crimes going. Because Mm -hmm. then, at first, because how, what do we know about you, Kissel? Very proud. Very, very proud, proud member every of society. Day. Every day. <laughs> and, the, and the Germans are very proud people. So the idea of having to walk around bow-headed, sorry for their crimes, also didn't necessarily sit very well. No, there was a little bit of resentment. And I've known I have, well, anyway, I don't want to I go wonder, into it, but I wonder is, if you have some evidence of some no, of the no, resentment. No. But it was, they did have to apologize for the rest of their lives. Rightfully yeah. so. Right, but of course, so. you know, you couldn't really have any job in, in government anymore. Like globally, you were a laughingstock no. and you were maligned and of course because you're Nazi. Well, it was called denazification. And a lot of the uh, young the, a lot of the people in the generation below the Nazis, like kind of the younger generation, uh they fucking hated the Nazis because they yeah. had to live with it. That was my dad. Yeah, they had to live with that bullshit. So by the time the Cold War began in 1948, uh, the Americans, we'd not only stop prosecuting Nazis, we'd also started reducing sentences. We reduced the sentence of Ilsa Cook, the bitch of Bokenwald, what the, the she wolf of the SS. She was, remember Ilsa Cook? I know, no, yeah, I know. Yeah, she was, why, why did we her trial it? had uh, partly inspired Ed Gein's macabre creations. Oh. Yep. And we took her sentence from life in prison down to just four years. 
That's a huge drop. That's a gigantic drop. But she was late after those four years, she was immediately arrested again and tried again and was given another life sentence. And she hanged herself in prison in 1967 at the age of 60. Was she, gotcha, just, that, was she just that much of a B word that the prison guards are just like, can you get her out of here? I can't have. It's also a life sentence for us, if you think about it, because um, we have to work with her every day. Can we just reduce it to four years? They were just trying. This is. Where we talk about this is where things are difficult. We're going to get deeper into the hunt of these Nazis. A part of it is you have to build like legal precedent. You have to put together charges. You need to have evidence. You need to do all this shit. So when the these trials are really fucking complicated, it's like the reason why um, Osama bin Laden is with SpongeBob in, oh. in under Sea Heaven is a part of it. Trying to piece together all of the bullshit would have taken a long period of time. Oh yeah, but you could see how they they. So they were just trying to fucking whip these guys through. Right, yeah. right. Meanwhile, though, the Mengele family business, Mengele and Sons, <laughs> was thriving. Really? They're yeah. doing well, huh? They well, got some contracts coming through? Well, rebuilding Germany meant that a lot of rubble had to be removed. They got to make money they, it, seriously. off the whole fucking thing. And no, there was nothing better for clearing the destruction that occurred as a result of Nazi aggression than with a wheelbarrow stamped with the name Mengele. Oh, that's perfect. I just saw that the big pharmaceutical companies are taking on the opioid epidemic. Cool. So it's the same thing. Wow. <laughs> Create the problem, solve they're, the problem. They're so brave. So brave. And actually, we got it wrong in the first episode. They no. didn't rename the company Mengele and Sons to rebrand. They named it that because they hoped... Joseph would one day be able to return to run the company with his brothers. Oh, God. The Mengele family actually believed that Joseph could wait out the heat until, quote, war crime fever settled down in Europe. Uh, right. Oh, well, yeah. Joseph Mengele, he, he's, he's CEO of Mengele and Sons again. I don't know why they're investing so much in wood chippers. It seems like they're <laughs> mostly just making wood chippers now. What's best part about wood chippers is that it goes in one end and it comes out the other end completely unrecognizable. <laughs> <laughs> but in order to wait out war crime fever, Joseph, and that's what they actually call this it. Is this, is all this war crime fever is going this on. This is a phase. Uh -huh. People yeah. are going to be, everybody's going to cool out. Don't worry about uh -huh. it. We'll give them some EDM. That's what we'll, we'll do. They're already past it. <laughs> But in order to do that, Joseph had to leave the country. So in 1949, Mengele decided to join thousands of other Nazis in Argentina. Oh, again. <laughs> Seen some footage of Buenos Aires from the 1950s. It seems really oh, nice. Yeah, I see why they wanted to go. Yeah, we're trying to plan a uh, vacation down to Buenos Aires right now. Yeah, what'd you do? <laughs> yeah, or, or is it just a vacation? <laughs> so are you taking the Mengele vacation package? Are you going to go down there from farm to farm and go see the beach and do all that bullshit? <laughs> well, this had nothing to do with Mengele. We were planning the Argentina uh -huh, yeah. trip long before. What if it even even did subconsciously. You know what I mean? They just <laughs> accidentally, like, Carolina's is like, where should we go for a vacation this year? And you're like, I don't know. Boy, Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try 
every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor! By Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs in a whole bunch of cha. And it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough. But Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt, and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there, and it's going to thrive, and it's going to look real good. And I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. 
And this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Now, Argentina is one of the more interesting countries when it comes to World War II. They stayed neutral right up until the end, waiting until 1944 to finally declare war on the Axis powers. Yeah, and we're fighting Germany too, yes. <laughs> yeah. This was not because they ever had any sort of ideological problems with the Nazis. In fact, they greatly admired the Nazis. Argentina was just waiting to see who was going to come out on top. And when it was obvious the Nazis weren't going to win, Argentina went with the Allies officially. Unofficially, they had been collaborating with the Nazis for years. See, this is the power of travel agents. (laughs) They controlled everything. They said, we know we're going to need, what's our economy? Uh Tourism. We know we're going to need the Germans. So you mean to tell me that back in the day... If the Travago man was alive, yes. he would have been like a new dictator, like he would have been one of the New World Order. I think it's possible. See, by the time Mengele was on the move, Argentina was being run by a petty dictator named Juan Perón, who had risen to power through a military coup in 1946. Perón was a massive piece of shit who would snuggle up to pretty much anyone if it meant getting ahead. So he made fast friends with the Nazis. Perhaps his greatest crime was being involved in what was known as Operation Land of Fire. From Mm. 1942 to 1944, six German U-boats delivered multiple crates marked with words like Auschwitz and Treblinka. Just literally erase Auschwitz and put, like, Pier 1 on it. Like, (laughs) why does it have to be like this? Why does it have to be so obviously evil? I do like that they named it Operation Land of Fire. Well, that's Uh, what Argentina means. Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's, it's scary. You know, it's like usually these operations are like, Operation Candy Corn coming from the sky. And it's like, that's when we nuke them. It's like, it's usually named very pleasant things. And then the, the more pleasant the name, the worse the action. Yeah. It's not even scary. I think I saw Land of Fire, like, bean meat crumbles. Like, I'm pretty certain Land of Fire is a is like a bean-based meat company. I think that's Lando Lakes, the butter company. Oh. Hmm. Well, inside those crates marked Auschwitz and Treblinka was millions of dollars in jewelry, art, cash, and especially gold teeth Ugh. gruesomely harvested from concentration camp victims. And they took it. To the bank. They took it to the bank. It was all turned to gold, melted down, and deposited in two banks by four Germans under the name Eva Duarte, Juan Perón's mistress, who was famously and quite positively played by Madonna in the 90s in the adaptation of the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Evita. And I gotta say, I've never seen Evita, but I went to the wiki page and and did a quick control F on the words Nazi and Hitler, and nothing showed up. So I guess well, they just kind of gloss over all the Nazi collaboration parts of Eva Perón's life. Well, I never understood the love of Eva. I, I never got it when Madonna was doing it. Her whole thing was she had, like, nothing but shoes. Uh, yeah, she had like, a lot of that's shoes. Imelda that's Imelda no, that's Imelda she, no, I, no, I know what I'm talking There's a lot of shoes. And the people were starving. A lot of shoes. There's something happens in that. I know. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Land of fire. Where Madonna was trying to convince the world that she could fucking sing I for remember. real. But she can't. 
you get fully synced. But it, uh, yeah, I don't remember any swastika flags in there. But maybe I'm. But then suddenly I'm like, I'm trying to see if I do see them. And you can really put a swastika flag into any memory that you have if you want to. Yeah, you can plant <laughs> that flag anywhere you want. No, I have no problem with Madonna. Although her halftime show at the Super Bowl was not good. Uh, I'm just gonna say it. It was my favorite was Super, Bi- Super Bowl <sighs> halftime show ever. It, it was, was fantastic. Not, it's gonna be better yeah. than Maroon Five, who I think is performing this <laughs> Whoa. halftime show. Whoa. No, don't you lost. dare talk against. The- I'm not. Don't you dare cross the Adam Levine Mafia <laughs> because they will shut us down. I know it. Well, I know Eva, she was uh, uh, Evita, as she was called. I know she was uh, definitely for the poor uh, in Argentina. The people, uh, nope. they call them the shirtless ones. But that's what well, Perón was built upon, was yeah. this concept that he was, because he's like, the Italians had the brown shirts and the Nazis had the black shirts. Our people... They don't wear shirts, <laughs> and it was a little like a Burt Kreischer thing. But Perone was like connected to the everyman, apparently. But he was a dictator. Right. He was a fascist. He was a of po- course. He was a popular. He was a populist fascist. Well, you know, y- you got to keep them poor to keep the support. Mm-hmm. And when Eva Duarte became Eva Perone, her bank accounts consolidated with Juan Perones. And each of the four Germans who were involved in the deposits of all of the concentration camp treasure, Mm. they all died mysterious, violent deaths. Really? Yes. And that left Juan and Eva with a large sum of some of the most evil treasure in history. Honestly, going from different climates, like from from Germany to Argentina, can get you really sick. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Maybe they... Got natural it. violent causes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah natural violent causes. Bullets to the head, poison cups oh, yeah. What is a bullet? It's made of steel. What's steel? It comes from the ground. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but nonetheless, <laughs> there is some natural chemicals to it. Well, Argentina was attractive to the Germans in more ways than one. The country had actually styled itself to have a more European flair than the rest of South America. And as such, living in Argentina was said to be the closest thing that one could get to being in Europe without actually being in Europe. Hmm. And what do the Europeans, quote unquote, Germans at the time like more than something that looked exactly like what they look like? Yes. You know what I mean? So it's like oh, yeah. it's like continuing the, the Xeroxing of the world that they were trying to do scientifically with the Nazi eugenics program. I had a horrible stand up show way, way back in the day, maybe 15, 20 years ago in a place called Germantown, Wisconsin. Ooh. And it all it all looks like they're, they're the same style, style German houses. Like a tube of players in each corner. Everybody wearing fucking the leather shorts. It was horrifying. Yeah. It was horrifying. It was a quarter for a beer. So the crowd was really hammered. Ooh, it was wow. a very German experience. Well, Argentina was also a plum military assignment in World War II because it had the highest concentration of Nazi secret intelligence listening posts in all of South America. So when World War II ended, there was already a network of 1,500 Nazi Nazis ready to accept more. Peron opened his door completely to the Nazis when the war ended. He set aside 10,000 blank passports for escaping Nazis because Peron found the Nuremberg trials to be, quote, 
unfair. Really? <laughs> oh, yes. He said he was welcoming uh, Nazi refugees, as he called them, for humanitarian reasons. Nothing scarier than a German refugee. Yeah. But that's the problem is that none of this, that none of it was refugees, and Perone was doing everything for his own benefit. Yeah, because Perone was trying his own version of Operation Paperclip. Mm. And for those of you who don't know, Operation Paperclip was the smuggling of Nazi scientists, some of them very much war criminals here into the United States so the Nazi scientists could help us go to the moon, which they did. We'll they call- did. They did. <laughs> we'll call it Operation Thumbtack. <laughs> Can you imagine the little paperclip from Microsoft Word, but he was just saying like, hey, uh, click me if you need help killing the Jews. <laughs> what? That's crazy. But since Perone was kind of an idiot... He got stuck with two B-team scientists and a whole hell of a lot of war criminals instead. Mm. One of the scientists he managed to get was Kurt Tank, who was one of the Luftwaffe's aerodynamics experts. Oh, makes sense. Last name Tank. <laughs> I mean, I guess not really, but... No, not at all. No, it's a land. No, it's, it's a land. <laughs> yes, it's a land thing. It's a big, weapon. heavy thing yeah. that purposely sits on the ground. The right. other thing's a plane. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kurt brought in another guy named Ronald Richter, who was a nuclear physicist who promised to build Perone, his very own nuclear reactor, on an island off the coast of South America. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll just build you a nuclear reactor right off the... Where did you want it? Yeah, we can build uh, it there. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course we can do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, nuclear reactor, nuclear reactor. What do we got to do here? Okay, I... Okay, we need... First, we need fuel... I could just fart into this jar. (laughs) Break for lunch. But since Richter had only about a half-ass idea of what Mm -hmm. he was doing, he had to admit failure. But only after they spent $300 million American on the project, (laughs) in addition to announcing to the whole world that they'd cracked atomic energy. Oh, my God. Perone even hung out with war criminals, including Joseph Mengele. Perone said in 1970 that he, back in the 50s, would hang out with a German specialist in genetics who would entertain him with claims of amazing scientific discoveries on the weekends. And you would not believe how clear and beautiful his skin was. (laughs) How many times he showed me. And I say, oh, Mengele, I mean... Pancakes, Steiner Reichen. <laughs> you have some beautiful skin. I wish to eat an empanada off of your toso. Oh, my, an empanada. Well, according to Perone, who it must be said was also a habitual liar, uh, this man, whom Perone described as a stiffed back Bavarian, left Argentina because he was improving cattle in Paraguay and had managed to produce a farm where all the cows gave birth to twins. Oh, well, who doesn't yep. want that? More milk. Who doesn't want that? <laughs> more, more teat for the milking. But even if Perón hadn't been such a gigantic Nazi supporter, Argentina still had a huge German population that was established even before World War II. And most of those people were Hitler supporters. Well, again, there are some on vacation. <laughs> yeah, they're on vacation. Yeah. Hey, we're on vacation. That's what Nazis kept saying. And because you know how you do, as long as you never take off your Panama hat, <laughs> you should never be allowed to be persecuted for war crimes. You're on vacation. Yeah, on vacation. And Perón, he just made it easier for Nazis to get to Argentina after the war. The Germans were already there. Right. Now, Mengele 
was not happy about having to go to Argentina in the least bit. What the hell is... He wants to continue being a farmer? No, he thought that all this shit was going to fucking blow over, dude. What is this whole idea that it's going to blow over somehow? Yeah, he thought that he tried to save his country from destruction by the Jews. And he had been repaid with a job on a potato farm and a constant fear of being hanged. He was Uh, all woe is me about all of it. Totally delusional. All of this shit is going like, I don't want to go to Argentina. I don't want to go. (laughs) You're always making me. And I made the potatoes a medium size in a perfect, simple way. (laughs) Making it worse, the journey out of Germany was not going to be an easy one. Although it wasn't quite as clandestine as people like to make these Nazi escapes. In truth, these guys got out of Germany due to laziness, corruption, and luck. But Uh. I will say, I mean, on first look, it's true. A lot of laziness and corruption allowed them to slide through. But there was some pretty embedded systems that ended up springing up real fast. Because the one thing about Nazis is that they put organizing infrastructure in immediately. Yeah. They seem to somehow understand how to give orders in a way that people fucking snap to attention. So there, we'll, we'll talk about this right now. Yeah, I mean... Orders at the end of a bayonet. That's one good way to do it. Yeah. Yes. So Mengele's path to South America began in Germany and ended in Italy. And in between were five mystery men paid off by Mengele's father who all went by secret code names. Uh-huh. I wonder what those names could possibly be. The Hamburglar, the King of Beers, um, the Champagne of Beers, Dr. Mephisto, and the Lazy Thumb. Ooh, 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 the Lazy Thumb. You never want to mess with him. Well, escape routes like this one were called rat lines by the Allies, and they were at least four that led just to Argentina, not to mention the ones that went to eight South American countries in addition to Mexico and the United States. Hmm. As what happens to the, on this fucking show, every other series, the rat, the rat lines used by the Nazis should be an entire episode. Yes. Once you lift the lid off of rat lines to see who was involved in this shit, this stuff gets wiggity wiggity. Mm. You got old school American baddies, the fucking OSS, Vanover Bush, who fucking meets with these, they meet with these guys, basically using them to, at first, one line of rat lines started as the OSS flipping Nazis and trying to get them to get information, or to use them to get information about Russia. You got Vanover Bush being like, I hear you got this thing with twins going on. That's funny. My eldest daughter has twins. Like, <laughs> like you know, like commiserating with these guys. But then the Vatican was also an entire network unto its own. If you start researching this whole concept about the, the Vatican, having a fucking office inside of fucking Vatican City where people would go, because you had to get two forms of paperwork before you could leave. You had to get the fucking Red Cross paperwork, and then you had to get your Argentinian passport. You go there to get your Red Cross pap- paperwork. It was a guy who was just like, Welcome to Italy. Me, my name is Carlo. You're like He acting like he's Italian, but he's a fucking blonde-haired, blue-eyed dude with a fucking priest out it on, you will enter in some murky waters once you start looking into the Vatican rat lines. Because oh there's a whole world of anti-Catholic conspiracy theory that starts with some of my favorite shit in the world, which is like old VHS copies, where you see the lines throughout the thing from like the year 2001, where it's a guy being like, 
and the Vatican shouldn't be trusted, the octopus arms of the Pope are everywhere creating Vatican-led concentration camps. You shouldn't even believe me. <laughs> Do your own research. Uh, okay. Back, back in the Bill Cooper days, you oh, shouldn't yeah. believe me. Do your, <laughs> do your own research. Do your own just, research. I can definitely believe the Vatican was up to some st- uh, shady stuff, though. Mm-hmm. That is Yeah, look certain. into the fucking Vatican's connections to the Croatian massacre uh, and their weird Catholic the weird Catholic extermination system they going on there. I mean, this is there's a lot of sensitive topics in here. Yeah. What I think is really fun about this entire subject is how many fun hotbed topics that if you just yeah. have one wrong thing, you're going to get a lot of people upset. Oh, yeah. It's a hot topic issue. Hot button. Well, the rat lines shouldn't have even been necessary for a family as rich as the Mangalas, because the Mangalas could easily afford a fake passport. Hmm. But Carl Mangala... Yosef's father had no experience on the black market, and he got duped with a forgery that was said to be so obvious that an idiot would have spotted it. An idiot would have spotted it? An idiot would have spotted it. Bitter beer face. (laughs) They had the one guy from Goonsburg that they always try to run the idiot test pass because he had a fucking pot in his head, and he went... Oh, this looks pretty good to mine. And they were like, it's bad. It's Uh-oh. bad. Now. Do the opposite of what he says. That's crazy. They should have just drove their tractors. <laughs> you know, you got all that equipment. That is interesting. His father wouldn't have anything to do with the black market, given the fact that he had government contracts and a whole bunch of... Sh- he has to have shady business dealings no, he was Mengele on, and that, Sons. He was on the up and up. That, yeah. that was the problem. And that that's the horrible problem, the horrible truth about all this, is that the Mengele family was on the up and up. Technically, they mm. didn't break any laws. They were working through the government. It was just that the gov- government was being run by a bunch of fucking psychopaths. This is this is sort of a trading places moment, though, right? Where so they're much. like, "How are you? like?" I would love to see. I don't even like to say the guys, whatever. Like a, like a Donald Trump or something, where they're bored, like Howard Schultz, mm-hmm. just like no money. You have no money, and yeah. you just dropped off in Detroit. Yeah, I would love to see Howard Schultz figure out how to get gas money <laughs> and to get a car. Like, watch him do that. Well, you just have money. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, Mengele is going to get that firsthand. We're going to see he he's he's already in the rough trade he thinks this is the last bit of farm work he's about to do mm. <laughs> he is mistaken yes well instead of just using a fake passport mangala had to be smuggled the first man on the rat line was codenamed xavier <laughs> oh yeah i could see him in like got bondage gear with angel wings on <laughs> yeah. he just got out of limelight from 1997 <laughs> just a huge dude and he just like bends over and he's like enter <laughs> and, like, j- like jim carrey <laughs> ace ventura so too i just in- <laughs> crawled up and yeah yeah trojan horse me you gotta do it <laughs> well xavier got joseph as far as the brenner crossing where they were met by an italian who was codenamed nino Ooh. and he used the code word Rosemary. They want to let me use the code name of pizza. That's <laughs> what I wish. Come on. I know it's stereotypical, but hey, I'm an Italian. Man, I'm still pissed off. Rosebud is a sled? <laughs> yeah. That's Rosemary, I know, but now I think of a rosebud. Well, it's a symbol of his childhood. It's ridiculous. Whatever. <laughs> it's ridiculous. This is how the rat lines worked. Okay. Is that you'd go from place to place to place. You'd go and hide. If you were on the Vatican full-on rat line, you'd go from monastery to monastery where they would put you in a monk's clothes and you pretend to be a monk for a little while until you're moved to the next spot. Mm. Until you're moved to the next spot. Yeah. So these are what modern day coyotes sort of. Pretty much, yeah. 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 I mean, they're they're human traffickers. Right. Yeah. And Mangala, after Nino, was passed off to codename Erwin. 
That's not a code name. That's just a name, you nerd. <laughs> hey, man, hide in plain sight. Yeah. I guess so. And Erwin was probably an old friend from Mangala's childhood named Hans Sedelmeyer, who eventually went on to become the Mangala family lawyer. Hmm. Everybody's making money. Codename Erwin brought along a suitcase to pass along to Mangala, and that suitcase contained all of the specimens that Mangala was able to save from his days at Auschwitz, because Mangala still thought that one day he was going to become a respected geneticist. <sighs> so he thought he had to take all of his Auschwitz samples with him, yeah. because he thought one day... I'm gonna make a comeback, and now, I'm gonna need this stuff. Now, Mr. Mengele, what are the better what are the, what are the better chances here that you're a respected scientist because of all your work, or you're carrying around a bunch of really damaging evidence <laughs> of your war crimes? What do you think is like more likely gonna happen? Six of one, half a dozen of us another. <laughs> and I tell you what, a clock is is right. A clock, a broken clock is right two times a day. And I'll also say uh, you gotta watch what you uh, gotta watch what you say and watch what you do. Just leave me alone. My name is <laughs> my name is Rupert. After that, Mangala was passed along to codename Kurt. Again, no. It is. What's his real name? Like, like Buffalo Cactus? Like, why? You can't just have that's not a code name. Well, what if your real name is worse? What if your real name is Blurt? And so you go by Kurt because it's less noticeable than a man named Blurt. I guess so. Well, Kurt was in charge of the last leg of the journey, and his main task was to acquire an international Red Cross passport for Mangala. Which, if you had an IRC passport, you could. Pretty much go anywhere in the world. Mm. Well, this was and this stuff was done really easily because they were dealing with so many refugees. Yeah. The, the, uh, the what they were trying to do was basically get as many people that needed to be back to their home countries as fast as humanly possible, and they manipulated this system, yeah. knowing that these ID cards can literally be done on a typewriter. Yeah. Right. So yeah. they they were just going and sp- it, but it all took money to grease all these wheels. Right. The one thing that Mengele has over any of the other Nazis specifically, which we'll see, is that he had a lot of family money because they were all making so much money in the restoration of Germany, they were fucking flush. And so you could just buy your way yeah. from spot yeah. to spot. And it is hard to think about now with technology the way that it is. We have all these holograms or whatever on our on our ID cards, but we learned that with the Bundy tapes also, even in the 70s in America, it was just like typewriter. Yeah. You just put it in, yeah. type, it, type it out, no picture or nothing. Yeah. Very easy to do. Well, illegitimate IRC passports were actually the most popular way for Nazis to escape Europe after the war, and a lot of them were helped by the Catholic Church using one simple trick. See, in order to get an IRC passport, you needed a previous document with your legal name. Hmm. But the problem was that a lot of these ports had the names of all of these Nazi war criminals. So some Catholic priests would re-baptize Nazis and give them new names, Just- which was perfectly legal. See, that's it. You're just making it up. But you you know go. What? <laughs> they're already in, they're already doing fake shit. They're already wearing a fucking costume and talking to a, a, an entity that doesn't exist. What is the extra step of just renaming a bunch of Nazis? But I have to say, in defense of the Catholic Church, this is the last scandal. Uh, that they ever had. There's been no scandal since. So that is why, you know, it's like, I know we're making fun. The last bad thing. In no way has there been a series of scandals in, in New York State when they open up the law so people can sue again for child sexual abuse and the hands of priests. It's not going to be just a floodgate full of a- accusations. Most all of them will be accurate and true. Go um, no. get them. Well, because the thing was that Pope Pius at the time, I forget which number, Pius believed that the Nazis were the only thing standing between Europe and the flood of communism, which was at the time an atheistic 
political system. So they thought that they were doing everything for the name of their uh, uh, keeping uh, the keeping the Catholic stronghold as powerful as, as they possibly could. Oh, yeah. And places like Croatia were going to be an example of what would it be like if we could create a Catholic society, which ended up being a bad example. Yeah, not not so great over there. Although they did give us Tony Kukoc. Yeah, that's great nice. Chicago oh, Bulls. That's, see, that's good. That's Very great. good. He's the, the Michael Jordan of Croatia. If you want to know, like, the Michael Jordan of America is Michael Jordan, and then their Michael Jordan is Tony Kukoc. <laughs> but he still played with Michael Jordan. He did. Yeah, he wasn't quite as good. Uh, he was in a room with Michael Jordan yeah. several times. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's rumored that the Catholic trick was how Mengele got his IRC, using the name Helmut Gregor. But Gerald Posner was pretty sure that codename Kurt got the IRC by sweet-talking an old woman at the Swiss consulate. Uh, and the old woman just didn't really seem to give a fuck one way or another. She's like, yeah, sure, here you go, Helmut Gregor. Who, go ahead. God, a German war criminal sweet-talking a lady. I don't know if that... <laughs> I really... don't know how it all no. works. But there was one more hurdle, and this hurdle was damn near the one that got Mangala caught. Before Mangala was able to leave Genoa by ship, he had to procure an exit visa from the Italian authorities. But when they went to immigration, codename Kurt found that the corrupt official who had been paid off was on vacation. In Argentina! <laughs> I love Italy, but they are always on vacation. They love vacation. They just they are out there. Uh, they are hey. real easy going when it comes to work, and that doesn't seem to mix with the Germans, which I don't even know why they were so friendly to begin with during the war. Explain that, dog meat, as well. Why, why did that happen? Yeah. was like, ah, 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 ah. But you know what? Yeah, Italians, sure, they like vacations, but their economy is doing great. So yeah, yeah, they're fine. They don't need to be working so well. Have a break. Well, when Mangala went to immigration and the guy was on vacation, Mangala tried making it through with just a bribe. That bribe got him thrown right in jail. Hmm. Mangala spent three weeks in Italian jail, but seemed to be more upset about the gr obscene graffiti on the walls of his cell than anything else. All of these simpletons drawing their penises on the walls, but not a single one of them has the veins. <laughs> and it's like they've never seen one, just simple little lines, but the penis have drawn correctly. It's absolutely fascinating and has so many details. Uh, he must be upset, too, because it's, it's hard to be in a jail made of pizza dough. Yeah. You know, it's sad because you know you can eat your way out of it. Kissel, come you on. We got to leave these Italians alone. Oh, we got to leave them alone. We got to be able to be let back in that country. No, I love Italy. Love Italy. Great people. Well, Mangal also hated his cellmates, whom he described as a gnome-like street musician. A gnome-like? Gnome-like street musician <laughs> and a morphine-addicted doctor. Yep, huh. and those people happened to be, it was Bob Dylan, which was incredible that he was even there at that time period. Way, the way history comes together is incredible. And uh, it was Sherlock Holmes, who's real. <laughs> really? Yep. yep he's real, and he was a doctor in real life. There, this, is, this is, none of this is fake. No, no, of course not. It, there is something great, um, there's a great irony, though, that he's getting the papers, please. Yeah. You know, he's being demanded his mm -hmm. papers, he doesn't have them. There's some, this is a little, once again, vengeance is happening on a small bit. level. But just as Mangala was about to give up, the immigration official who was supposed to have sent Mangala through showed back up from vacation. Hey, I come and go whenever I'm going to go, huh? <laughs> I wasn't even supposed to be here until a Wednesday, but I come here on a Monday because it's more fun to be on the predict. Can you imagine? He's still got sand in his flip-flops, he's wearing shorts. He's, got, he's, got, he's still got the little thing on his nose for sunscreen. <laughs> the 
also little dollop. He was on a three-week vacation. Yeah. Yeah, dude, if you're That's Megalo, a long-ass vacation. I'm not even upset with Mengel, but what about the gnome-like person? He's just like, <laughs> I could have gotten out of here too, you know. No one allows me to play my flute. <laughs> <laughs> There's a happy medium between us Americans working constantly and, you know, three to four week vacations from the Italians. Yes. There's, yeah, a, there's a mean, middle ground. We're working ourselves to death for no real reason whatsoever, but sure. Yeah, you know? no real reason other than we demanded of each other. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, the official, once he got back from vacation, he quickly freed one of the worst war criminals of the 20th century and sent him on his way to Buenos Aires with a suitcase full of Auschwitz notes and blood samples. And when you're in Great. Buenos Aires, I was just there. You're going to want to go to the, the skimpy crapper. It's a really, really great <laughs> shrimp yeah, joint. Yeah, the skimpy crapper. That's yeah. where I'm going to want to go. How about yeah. before? You tell me where I want to go. You hear where I'm coming from. I'm going to the first place. It's got sausage. <laughs> and if they don't have it, ooh, they got some splaining to do. Oh, yeah. No, you want to go to a place called Becky Tubes. It's it, They're all tube meats made by a woman named Becky, you see. <laughs> <laughs> but when Mengele arrived in Argentina, things went wrong almost immediately. He was supposed to have been met by a doctor with the implausible name of Rolf Nuckert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, he, of course, he, he drowned in a sea of fudge, so he was not able to make it. He was which... only three inches tall. Yeah, I mean, and so he's, he was like, it was either fudge or peanut butter, yeah. whatever it was, the silly and sassiest way for that little man to die. But Rolf was nowhere to be found. Rolf never showed up. We have no idea what happened to him. Well, I think we know, but... <laughs> Mengele's notes almost got discovered as well, but luckily for Mengele, the customs doctor who was called over to look through Mengele's suitcase didn't understand a word of German, so he Ugh. just stared at him for a bit, shrugged, and sent Mengele through. What about the blood samples? Can that, you, just, you just take blood samples anywhere you go now? Yeah, I guess. Um, uh, this is jam. <laughs> this is jam from the finest boysenberries of Bavaria, so be careful with them if you would. <laughs> But since Mengele had nowhere else to go, he roomed with two Italians that he'd befriended on the long journey from Genoa and checked into a windowless room while he looked for work. But also know that mm. every single time in all of his diaries, because there, there's information we have from his diaries that he wrote that he gave to his son. So every time he met somebody, he hated them. Yeah. He met these Italian people that <clears throat> took care of him. And he was just like, these spaghetti, these spaghetti. Spaghetti monsters. That's what I call them, <laughs> little spaghetti monsters. He was so mad at everyone of because course. all he wanted to be was in fucking Bavaria with his weird little fishing pole that had no gear on it, which is somehow all the children fish with that in Germany. He, I mean, he's so disgusting. He probably wanted to be back in Auschwitz. Yeah. I mean, he's oh, that's exactly so nasty. Where, that's well, his dream. That was his heaven on earth. Well, what his dream was that he would rather be back in, uh, he would rather be in a respected professorship with Auschwitz behind him. That's what Mengele wanted. Right. That's where he wanted to be eventually. That's where he thought he deserved to be. Mm. But instead, he was visiting textile manufacturers hat in hand to see if there were any managerial positions open. But the only <laughs> option that Mengele had there was something called a woolcomber on the factory floor. He's like Cousin Eddie from uh, from Christmas Vacation. Oh, he he's holding out for a management position. <laughs> he's holding out for a job, Mengele. <laughs> you lazy bastard. So after languishing in the single room for a while, Mengele finally hooked up with some of the other Nazis who had made their home in Argentina, and Mengele began what was an infuriatingly easy decade. 
Yes, this is a part of it that's really tough. Is that he started? He started making his way here. He got into. He started working menial labor, which he hated. But then he, he started getting into it. I was watching. It was fun. A part of the research was like going through the rat lines. Was watching old timey datelines of Sam Donaldson discovering these old Nazis hanging out, like going and meeting these 80-year-old Nazis. Mm. And they all yeah, have the same exact reaction, where it's Sam Donaldson be like, is your name William Fripka from <laughs> Bavaria? And it's just them going like, they all have the same reaction of, no, 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 no. Like the cat that makes the weird noises in the YouTube video. That was a, there's a, yeah, that's a YouTube video. You got to check it out. Henry sent it to me. Germans can't lie because they don't like improv. They don't know how to be creative. So they're well, really they funny they, when they try to lie. Their eyes, their their lies are very interesting because then they'll say, so he's just like, yeah, I mean, in, in 1945, I was William Fripka. Yes. He's like, well, what are you now? It's like. Oh, now I'm Hans Mueller. And you're like, no, 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 it doesn't change. Like, you can't just lie like that. That's different not how improv person, works. Different person. Phoenix rising from the ashes. Oh, yeah. Well, during that time, Mengele hung out with other Nazi war criminals, but none of them were as infamous or sought after than the main architect of the entire Holocaust, Adolf Eichmann. Ooh. Eichmann had made a narrow escape to Argentina. And while Mengele was only mentioned at the Nuremberg trials, Eichmann was a star in absentia. See, at the time, Mengele had never been actively hunted. Eichmann had been hunted from the beginning, and mm. as a result, he was a deserved wreck of a human being, living penniless with his family under the name Ricardo Clement. Oh, of course, he's, he looks just like Ricardo Clement. <laughs> he looks like, he <laughs> looks completely like a Ricardo. <laughs> of course. Mengele said that he had no respect for Eichmann, whom he considered a broken man, but Mengele also had it a hell of a lot easier. He was still living on the Mengele and Sons dime. Most Nazis, like Henry said, most Nazis came out of the war with nothing, but Mengele was a rich kid. And so getting Mengele, richer and richer, it seems and like. getting richer all Jeez, the time. I don't like this nepotism. No. And Mengele, he just kind of chugged through the 50s. You know, Irene, his wife, she left him in 1954 for a shoe salesman named Alphonse Hackenjos. Ah, it's but, the Al Bundy of Argentina. <laughs> yep. But that wasn't much of a surprise. But, you know, Irene, she didn't leave Mengele because of what he'd done in Auschwitz. She left him because she was lonely. But it's uh. also this other, like, weird... Because they're all obsessed with little Bavaria. They're all obsessed with these, like, little German towns with the castles and little ponds. And they wish to be there. And Irene didn't join her husband in Argentina because of racist reasons. Yeah. Like, just straight up being like, oh, I don't want to go down there. And, like, so... What is nice is that this begins a period of time is that, like, while Mengele is vaguely comfortable, he is also completely alone because mm -hmm. he can't trust anybody because Eichmann was falling apart this whole time and all these other guys are falling apart. But him with rigid discipline knew he had to constantly be vigilant in covering up his identity. Yeah. Not mm -hmm. too long after his divorce, Mengele got married again. To his brother's widow. Ah. All in a plot to secure his place in the family and the company. You know, that's interesting. This is actually not a story that's talked about very much, but when Bo Biden died, his <laughs> his brother married his widow. Yeah. And they it's the, just ugh. it just happened. And that's their business. But I know they look very that's similar. I'm just saying it's a little bit weird. I don't care what the Biden family died. I don't care either. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a little strange to go with the widow of your brother. That's it, all I'm saying. It happens. I know it is. It happens. It happens. It happens. You, you, I guess you know. 
horny, horny for brother one, horny for brother two. I don't know if that's a proper way to put it. I don't know. Well, this was the Mengele family's plan. If Mengele was a part of the company, officially, then it could be seized as reparations. Mm. And this was a big thing in Europe. And this was a process, the reparations for, uh, you know, for Jews, that continued for decades. The family, this is actually true, I, I found this out, the family of research assistant Rachel, her boyfriend, his family, uh, they actually got an apartment building in Berlin in the 90s. That had been taken by the Nazis back in uh, the 30s. With reparations. Man. With reparations, oh, okay. yeah. And they- all I got was a couple of goofy hats for my grandfather. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> he just had all these traditionally, a traditional Scottish hat and traditional Polish hat, and that's all he ever gave me out of fucking World War so, II. So, my grandfather made- was in Italy, and he was stuck in a tunnel for a long time, but he got to see the dead body of Mussolini, and he told me that quite a number of times. That's fun. It's interesting that you've, first of all, I, I definitely believe your grandfather was literally stuck in a tunnel and, <laughs> he was. Uh, the, for most of the war. Um, hey, man, it, we, are, we are an <laughs> underground people. <laughs> it is incredible, though, somehow you've made uh, World War II, the Holocaust, Mengele, about you and, yeah. and yep. your people deserving reparations. Yeah. And you, about gifts. And about just you getting might, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you might view all of this as a superpower, something that is to be envied that I can do no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing about Mengele is that if he renounced his share of Mengele and Sons and married his brother's widow, then he could still retain control while setting the company free of any reparation obligations <sighs> on a technicality. Then you get the fun thing where you get to goosh on top of your brother's goosh. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> but this is really what's fascinating that he had yeah. this successful business Hugely and the successful. war was great for them. Still successful to this day. <sighs> it's still crazy. Gone. And to make it proper, Mangala even went to Switzerland in 1956, complete with a risky two hour stopover here in New York City, where some of Mangala's victims still live in Jewish communities to this day. Well, which is the, if you look at Marathon Man, it's that whole story of them. Murderer! Murder and like seeing the fucking Nazi dude yeah. walking through the streets and shit like that. He's also strangely enough in New York City around the same time that L. Ron Hubbard was in New York City. Well, I mean, he just had a he had a huh. layover at Laguardia. I think it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me have this. <laughs> no, that's, that's just imagining yeah. them meet each other, them sharing an airport uh, ketchup soup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, just talking about ideas. Well, LaGuardia wasn't a very nice airport. So. Yeah. 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 Well, Mengele made it to Switzerland and met his son, Rolf, upon his arrival. Uh, but Mengele did not say, hi, it's Daddy Mengele. He said, hi, I'm Uncle Fritz. Ah, uh, wink, wink. No <laughs> wink, one wink, will wink, ever wink, know. Wink. Yes. I mean, of course, Rolf was easy to find. He was being rolled down the street for the meeting. <laughs> Very fun. Big old boy there. Well, there in Switzerland, Mangala promised to marry Martha. That's his brother's Aww. widow. But apparently, at some point, Irene had run into Mangala and said something that had stuck with Mangala for the rest of his life. She told him that if there was anything that was going to give him away as the angel of death, it was going to be that gigantic fucking forehead of his. 
<laughs> hey, more like a five head. You know what? Hey, hey, you better watch out of that big fucking forehead of yours. Yeah, God. let's just, hey, hey, let's just all fucking cool it for a second. I'm here on just a layover, <laughs> and I have to go back to shit town USA really soon, so let's quit with the roasting of me. So, wow. when Mangala got back to Buenos Aires, he got plastic surgery to make his forehead smaller. Although, how I the don't hell do know you do how that? the hell you do you that. Can't, you can only raise your eyebrows, so now your eyebrows are just in the middle of what is obviously a long forehead. No, they talked about this. actually resulted in him being scarred for the rest of his life. It is a surgery, and this is true, in which they cut the hairline and scoot it forward like it's a mat, like in front of your door, where they push it toward the thing and essentially like staple it back in closer to your eyebrows to make it look like it's smaller and smaller. But the guy that he got was like a discount guy. Yeah. It was a guy that was willing to do it on the black market for cash and it fucked up his whole head. And in the middle of the surgery, Mengele had to take the surgeon's hands off of him because as he was watching him do it, he knew he wasn't doing it right. Yeah. Oh my God. That is interesting. I mean, this man was so vain that he scarred his own body. Yeah. And uh, instead he uh, just wore hats. For the rest of his life. Why didn't you just do that in the first place? (laughs) Save yourself the scalping and just wear a cap. And guess what? And nowadays, there's a lot of fun hats you can wear. I'm discovering it in my time period. It's a lot of different ways you can cover your head. You can use a wrap. Right. You can just get one of those big skull caps like the hackers used to wear in the 90s. Sure. Remember in the movie The Net. Yeah. That's fun. You just can't wear any red hats for the next five years. (laughs) That's, uh, That's the only thing. But Mengele's paranoia is a constant paradox, because by 1956, he was also so confident that people weren't searching for him that he got a West German passport under his own name through a fellow Nazi named Werner Junkers. Werner Junkers, for some reason, I view that as a poor name with the, uh, a, a poor actor who's known yeah. for having the world's biggest balls. Yeah, I, yeah, I could definitely see it. Werner Junkers. I'm the man. I, I'm the only man with square testicles. It's really bizarre. Uh, uh, make this horrible fucking male porn actor noises. The uh, oh yeah, uh, uh, with these huge balls slapping against the back of her legs like oh, they're beanbags. It's fun. Yeah, Mankel, at this time, he even felt safe enough to meet up with another war criminal. He met up with Walter Rauf, the murderer of Milan, who had developed mobile gas vans that were responsible for 97,000 deaths. Jesus. And they just sat around talking about what they considered to be the better times. Oh, my God. See, that is uh, being a fly on the wall, though. That would be <sighs> freaking fascinating to hear those two Jagoffs talk. It would be. Hell, dude. You could look up Martha Mengele in the phone book. Not that you'd want to, but if you did, she'd yeah. be there. Yeah, yep, under Emma. Yep. <laughs> yep. Good work. That's good. Are you? Wait a second. Are you a famous Nazi hunter? No, uh, no. I just know. I know a thing or two about phone books. Remember those? No, I remember. Yeah, oh, I remember those. Back when you needed a book to look up the names of better, simpler names. Yeah. Remember that the Dewey Decimal System? Oh who yeah. The, who the oh, hell is yeah. Dewey? You know. Well, even though the Americans and the Soviets had given up the search for Mengele, the people had not forgotten. Woo! Hermann Langbein had been a political prisoner at Auschwitz and had been working tirelessly for years to bring Mengele to justice. He was one of hundreds of amateur Nazi hunters who had taken up the task by using crowcasts as their Bible, working their way through archives, tracking down Nazis, and notifying the authorities once they found them. And Langbein had never believed that Mengele had died in the war. 
and the divorce papers from Irene Mangala proved that Mangala was still alive. Okay. But the news that someone was looking for him had reached Mangala pretty damn fast. So Mangala packed up his entire life and fled to Paraguay and stayed there. Hmm. Now, once he got out, because it's true, because he had this, like, set-up life, and he was doing a little bit of being, he was being a doctor. He was starting, he had set up a little office. He'd be, he was a carpenter for a little while. <clears throat> he was doing this kind of thing. Things were kind of, like, settling into normalcy for him. Mm-hmm. And then this shit ripped up his whole life. Yeah. Good. He had to go to Paraguay, which at the time was a, not a very developed place. It was known as a sea of criminals mm-hmm. and criminality. It was a r- sketch-as-fuck place to live, and it was mostly barren farmland. So he went out there to... He got a severe uh, demotion in lifestyle. Yeah, mm. yeah. he went and settled in a place that was seriously called Nueva Bavaria. Hey, all right. Yep. New Bavaria. Yeah. Huh? New yeah. Bavaria. Yeah, and he was there with just, you know... Thousands of other Nazis that had fled uh, to Paraguay because mm-hmm. Perón, uh, he wasn't doing too great in Argentina either. Though the people no. weren't happy starving. No, huh? <laughs> they, they were like, we could, we could go for some food. Yeah, they were not huh. too happy either. So, yeah, I mean, Paraguay was, I mean, they said it was like a smuggler's paradise. So it was just this country full of criminals, uh, regular people, of course, uh, and Nazis. Jesus, that is, that'd be a fun place to see uh, like a Hunger Games type thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? The Yelp of a whole Nazi community, just everything with one star, just being like, not pure enough. How cantankerous, cantankerous it must be hanging oh, out with yeah. just fucking Nazi neighbors. And it's not Everybody's horrible, on the run. Horrible. And it's not just Nazis. It is like war criminal Nazis. It is right. communities the worst of, of the worst. war criminals. The worst of the worst Nazis. Hmm. And meanwhile, an indictment for Mengele had been drawn up back in Germany by a judge seriously named Robert Mueller. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Germans. <laughs> <laughs> Germany sought extradition from Argentina. But by that point, Mengele had already gotten an ID card in Paraguay with his new identity. Jose Mangala. Of course see, it Spanish is. now. Jose no, no. Mangala. You, you could just see it adds a little bit more hip movement. He does have like It adds flair. a little bit more like, you know, like you could get to the Ricardo loud. Like you get oh, yes. that in there. No, he's, he's playing def- bongos. Definitely the kind of guy who gets one of those big drinks at TGI Fridays that has multiple, you know, two straws, but yeah. he's drinking for one. Whoa. And maybe you can light on fire a little bit when the tequila is just right. And then he says, yeah. I know it's Monday, but in here it's Friday. But in here <laughs> it's he really Friday. But I know this is a this is a drink for four people, but let's say I'm drinking for the family tonight. And they're like, whoa, this guy. Jose Mengele. Yeah. Then in 1959, Mengele's father suddenly died back in Goonsburg. He still had Good. his dad alive. He had like, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Now, a lot of people thought that Mengele might try to make it back, with even the German version of the FBI attending the funeral in hopes of capturing him. But all they found was a wreath with a sash that read, Grisad aus der Ferne. Greetings from afar. Even then, he is mysterious and a fucking Nazi about it. Yeah. But Germany wasn't the only country interested in Mengele. Although the Americans and the Soviets had pretty much moved on from the Holocaust, there was still one country that was holding what you might call a bit of a grudge. Iran. (laughs) Was it Iran? Yeah, that's the one. Australia. Australia. Yeah, 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 they were upset. 
Israel. Awesome. Oh. Of course. See, one of those amateur Nazi hunters had managed to locate Adolf Eichmann and had reported this to an official that they trusted in the West German government. Problem was that this official didn't trust anyone else in the government to not tip Eichmann off. Mm. So this guy, Fritz Bauer, who was AG of the West German state of Hesse, he kicked the information over to the Israeli Secret Service, the Mossad, and said... Maybe you guys can do something with this. Yeah, I think we can figure out what to do with it. I think we I, we have some ideas, I think, yeah. And the Mossad is a whole other basket of fish here. Oh, yeah. yeah. That it's got, they, they do a lot of intense shit. You could see why they were pretty upset. And maybe some of that the energy would kind of fuel them. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe go get a couple. My of these understanding, guys. if if they're if they're kind of happy, it's it's still not fun. Yeah. You yeah. know, they're they're yeah. intense. And the Mossad figured if they were going to get Eichmann. They might as well grab Mengele, too. And Eichmann had been found almost by accident by a German Jew living in Argentina named Lothar Hermann. And in- <laughs> they got strong names, man. These are some thick-ass names. Yeah. yeah. And in the midst of Lothar's search for Eichmann, Lothar's daughter, Sylvia, had started dating a German boy named Nicholas. Okay. Eichmann. Uh oh, <laughs> that's no. not good. That's like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, kind yeah. of. Well, if they're war criminals. Well, even though yeah. Eichmann himself had changed his name to Ricardo Clement, his ego would not let the Eichmann name die. So his children still had the surname Eichmann. What are you? T- my name is Ricardo Clement. I'm a pitcher for the <laughs> Toronto Blue Jays. You don't know me exactly. I- you could be a center fielder for the Padres <laughs> with yeah, that name. Yeah, yeah. And these kids, they weren't shy about bragging. That their father was a big shot in Germany during the war. Maybe you Stop shut it. the fuck up, kids. <laughs> shut Maybe you just shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, and the so the daughter, uh, as soon as she found out who she was, she flipped, and she was nice. suddenly a spy. Ooh. But to travel all the way to Argentina for Eichmann was going to wipe out most of Mossad's budget for that year. So in order to make it really, really, really worth it. They wanted to scoop up Mangala on the trip as well. Hmm. These guys don't have airline points? Israel was a new nation. <laughs> yeah. They were yeah. very new. I mean, this is 1960. Israel was established in, what, 47? Somewhere around there? So, Somewhere around there, yeah. yeah. And Israel also was trying to not get killed by every other country around them at the time. Yes. Right. It was yes. It was a, It was was an issue <laughs> that uh, yes. still not quite resolved. Still not quite. It's, yeah, it's still no. a bit contentious here. Yeah. So, on May 11th, 1960, Mossad agents waited at Eichmann's bus stop and waited for him to return from work after a day as an assembly line foreman at the local Mercedes-Benz plant. Still with the fucking German-made cars. Of course. Because you know they try to get him at the Dodge plant. And he was just like, oh, no, no. Can you? I mean, that is crazy to think that someone has a car that Eichmann probably helped put together. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Eichmann walked past two Mossad agents who were looking under the hood of their car, pretending like the thing was broken down. Uh-huh. But just as Eichmann walked past the rear of the car, the door swung open, four men jumped him, and they dragged him inside. Got you, bitch. And as they put opaque goggles over his face and drove him to the Israeli safe house, all Eichmann had to say was this. I am resigned to my fate. But the Mossad agent's plane wasn't set to leave until May 20th. So the Mossad agents had just nine days to find Mengele. Okay. Unfortunately, though, 
Mangala was long gone from Argentina by the time 1960 rolled around. He's over in Paraguay. He's in Paraguay, but no one knew that except for all the rest of the fucking Nazis. Uh, but still, Eichmann, that's a pretty big get. It's a good get. It's a, a good, big good get. get. So they stuck him on a plane and brought him back to Israel. Now, Argentina and a few people in the international community, they criticized Israel for kidnapping Eichmann on foreign soil, and so Argentina demanded that he be returned, but Israel pretty much just said, fucking make me, and put him on trial instead. Okay, good. During his trial, Eichmann claimed that he had nothing to do with killing Jews, and he's never killed a Jew, and he never ordered anyone to kill a Jew. How would I even do that? Why would I even <laughs> How does that even happen? What yeah. is a Jew? What is the word is? Let's start by the word is. Uh, he definitely did. Uh, he was the okay. architect of the entire Holocaust. But oh, yeah, some, he's, a, he's a villain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what's funny is that some in Israel actually said that Eichmann wasn't even really an anti-Semite. Rafi oh, Aitan, who led the operation to capture Eichmann, said, quote, he himself never hated Jews. That was my feeling. That's the banality of evil. Tomorrow, mm. tell him to kill French people, and he would do the same. Interesting. Well, they said the same thing about Mengele. The next big project was the Polish. Yeah. The whole Polish, the, the, the goal was to start with the Jewish people and the Romani people and all of the dissidents, and the next was to move on to... My people. And then once again, we've gotten to Henry's people. <laughs> Somehow. I just know that... for a fact that I am the center of this universe uh -huh. and everyone else is right. a figment of my imagination. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Isn't that interesting? I love you Isn't both. It? I love oh, you okay. both. Okay, all right. Just checking. Yep, that's good. <laughs> and so Eichmann was hanged on December 15th, 1961, after having a last meal of white wine and cigarettes. What is he, Lindsay Lohan? Yeah, that is that is like a, a David Bowie phase there towards the end. Well, Eichmann was cremated and his ashes were dumped at sea without ceremony. Now, this whole operation naturally scared the shit out of Joseph Mangala. And it also reinvigorated the search for the bastard. Mm. Extradition papers finally went through in Argentina and Mengele's face and crimes were plastered over every paper in South America. This took a long time. Oh, yeah. This took a really long time. Think about this. This did like and there was a largely I mean, obviously I did I did a bad job with it. I can't remember his name. There was one man that was suing for the rights to get a criminal investigation going in Europe because they were mm. having a hard time piecing them all together. And that there was one guy who basically went and compiled as much evidence as he could. Mm -hmm. And it worked. It finally got through and yeah. it got to Argentina. And then, of course, it didn't help that Mengele published his book, If I Did It. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, people were like, tiny I Tiny if. Yeah. Always with a tiny, tiny if. if. yeah. Well, of course, Mengele used this opportunity to feel sorry for himself oh. and blame the Jews for the quote-unquote lies oh, really? in the paper. Hmm. This is what he wrote in his journal. Like the rain that has covered the earth, <laughs> sorrow has come over me. Oh. And sometimes you just have to sit in the bath, and I, I get a Yankee candle, and I hate the name Yankee candle, but I love <laughs> the sense because, ooh, it's grass. Isn't that a nice smell? And I put on my Whitney, and I just think, one day I will rise, I will glow up from this. And his paranoia finally reached the point where he left Paraguay altogether and resettled in Brazil, oh, outside of the town of Sao Paulo. Well, not town, the city of Sao Paulo. He settled there with a friend that he nicknamed Lenga. 
Do you know what that means, Ben? Um, hmm, do you? Let's, do you know, Kessel? Uh, langer? L- Langa. Langa? Langa. Langa. Uh, I think that means potato pancakes. <laughs> uh, no, that could mean, uh, no. let's see, what would he nickname his buddy? I'm going to say um, Moose. No. Does it mean hmm. Moose? Mm-mm. No. It, it means, means technically, technically long, long but boat. what it translates fully to is the tall man. Weird. So Mengele went and he befriended a tall German, was it redhead? No, there's a lot of actually tall Germans. There's a taller people than most people. Uh, you wouldn't even think about that usually, but yeah, there's seems actually strange. a lot seems of tall. It seems weird to hit the tall. No, he it hits does. The tall yeah, but... and it's like I know one family from Germany. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there that is was one. Yeah. In- exceptionally tall, all, and you're the runt. Kissel is the runt yeah, of yeah. the family. No, I, no, obviously, uh, no. That's not a. That's not a Kissel. There, we we are. We're big. We're, we're described as big, not tall. You got to do the Dikembe Mutombo anti-Nazi. No, 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 no. no that's no, what they always no, do. No. Well, this guy Wolfgang Gerhardt was what you might call a real piece of work. Gerhardt had gone to Brazil in 1948, not because he was a war criminal, but because he couldn't stand what ally-infested Germany had become. Brazil is a beautiful place. Gerhardt hadn't even fought in the war. He was too young to fight in the war. He just wanted the freedom to publish his very own little anti-Semitic fascist newspaper called Der Reichsbrief without people getting all weird about it. It just sounds like a German term for skid marks. Yeah, it really does. Gerhardt was such a Nazi asshole that he even put a swastika on top of his Christmas tree. Yes. And his wife was even worse. She gave their landlady two bars of Auschwitz soap made from the corpses of inmates as a Christmas gift. That's why I, I mean, when you handed our gift, Kissel, when you handed us a gift for our wedding... I was so scared to open it for yeah. a second, but then it was lovely. It was, it was a, a very wonderful. nice book that I par- or that I purchased because I thought you might like it. Interesting. So I mean, they were pretty open about being Nazis, and I guess Brazil yeah. was safe. Yeah, I mean, they weren't like, oh, we put the Holocaust, we put the we put the um, swastika on our tree with any luck, people will think we're Buddhists. No, like they were pretty. Oh no, yes, open exactly. About it, they right? think we're ancient Indian. Yeah, yeah. But the the, the you said that. I remember that one quote I remember from Gerhard being like. Von must always take care of the swastika <sighs> as he would take it in and out of the because he had it all wrapped up in in protective paper in a box. In Interesting. But that Christmas with the Gerhards was the worst of Mengele's life because his second wife, Martha, had left him and returned to Germany. Oh, he didn't get to play Santa Claus again? No, he did no. not. Oh. This is what Mengele wrote in his journal. Again, Christmas has passed. It was one of the most unenjoyable I have ever spent in my life. The details are so sad that I don't even want to talk about it. But I will remember it for the rest of my days. He starts to sound like my mom the one year <laughs> oh, we yeah. forgot to get her a birthday cake. Right. There was one year one that year. we forgot it. And every year now, she's like, did you get me a cake? <laughs> like, like she's right. waiting to be... Disappointed. Oh, yeah. No, you can do anything. You can buy your parents a car, but you didn't remember a birthday cake. <laughs> One year. <laughs> Ten years ago. One year. You will never live that down. But for Gerhardt, this was the best Christmas ever. Since he'd been too young to fight, 
being in charge of hiding one of the most notorious Nazis in history made him the happiest he'd been since he got to name his own son Adolf. Oh He's my fucking God, this guy is such a fucking Fanboys of Nazis are the worst. Oh my God. Well, it was through Gerhardt that Mengele, under the name of Peter Hochbickler, was introduced to Hungarian expats Geza and Gita Stammer as a possible manager for their 37-acre farm. Hmm. Meanwhile, newspapers back in Argentina were turning Mengele into a super spy, claiming that a Mossad agent had been sent to seduce and kill Mengele. But before she had the chance, Mengele flung her to her death from the top of a cliff. Oh, my goodness. And Nazi hunter Simon Weisenthal, who was known to tell a tall tale or two in his day, embellished the false narrative even further, saying that this woman had been sterilized by Mengele himself mm. at Auschwitz and had been killed after Mengele spotted her camp tattoo at a hotel dinner dance. I just have to say this when it comes to tall tale. What's wrong with being tall or a tale <laughs> that might be longer or taller than other tales? I just think this is ingrained heightism that we need to talk about. You never about. hear a lie called a short tale. Mm -hmm. Well, in reality... Mangala was spending 13 years on a farm called Serra Negra, 98 miles north of Sao Paulo in Brazil, miserable and paranoid. And some yep. think that this contrast between reality and fantasy was why he was never caught. Because it seems like everyone was on the lookout for the Mangala from the boys from Brazil. Right. They all wanted Gregory Peck in a white suit living in a villa surrounded by dogs and bodyguards trying to make Hitler clones in the jungle. Mm -hmm. You don't think he didn't want that? I mean, I think Honestly. in a perfect world, yeah. That's a great movie, by the way. It's Check awesome. it out. Boys it's from awesome. Brazil. They don't make them like that anymore. They don't. And no. it's definitely the only time you'll ever see Gregory Peck and Steve Gutenberg in the same movie. I think so. And I think that that was put in Gregory Peck's will to being like, destroy any other evidence that I was ever in the same room of Steve Gutenberg. Well, instead, Mengele was actually spending his time brooding and writing nonsense bullshit like his 40-page, quote, childhood opus, oh. which dedicated a full page and a half just to his time in the womb. I, mean, I tell you what, it was small, it was vet, I hated it. It's like, what are we doing here? What is the deal with this tiny room? What is the deal with being a baby? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Or Mangala would write half-hearted love poetry to get a stammer who banged Mangala on the regular. Hmm. Here's a poem called... <laughs> Quiet love. Oh, yuck. That's <laughs> a.k.a. German love. <laughs> I don't like it. We only met so late when we both had experienced how bitter life could be. Your love is never loud and quiet your words and gestures. A fine smile. Our secret knowledge. The secret knowledge is dingleberries. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, his fucking asshole. Because they're both just disgusting working on the farm all day. Ugh. Well, Mangala, like, he knew people were after him. His paranoia was so bad that he actually had a watchtower built on the farm where he'd go for hours scanning the countryside with binoculars. Hmm. They also said that he was so anxious. He developed this. He developed health problems that they first thought maybe was cancer. He was having a problem. Wrong times. He was constantly complaining about his health and how how bad he hurt and his aches and pains. 
but he actually had this thing was that he had a big walrus mustache and out of pure anxiety he used to chew on his mustache so much that his belly got filled with hair he had this huge <laughs> hairball in the center of his fucking guts it's called a that they thought was, huh. that it was it was killing him the entire time he was like a cat He is like a cat cat eating his own hair. The thing is, the Mossad did almost get him in 1962. One agent had caught the trail of Wolfgang Gerhardt, the Mm. tall man. Right. And that agent believed that he'd actually met Mengele at one point. But when he went back to Paris to report his findings, he found that the Mossad task force had been reassigned to the kidnapping of an eight-year-old girl. Oh. And then, a year later, the agent in charge of finding Mangala retired, and that ended the Mossad investigation. You can't retire until the job is done. Have you old. not watched Lethal Weapon? <laughs> no, it's the opposite. You gotta retire before the job gets too involved, and then you become, what? Too old for the shit. <laughs> I'm surprised the Mossad wasn't a little bit more aggressive. I mean, I guess Eichmann is the big get, right? Yeah, Eichmann's so the he's big kind of. But they know. also had other. They had a lot of shit to deal with. You no, know? I, yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, all Mengele did for the entirety of the '60s was make life miserable for both himself and the Stammers. His Mangala was half owner of the farm where he lived with the Stammers. Again, he used the Mangala money, and just as they depended on him for his wealth. He depended on them for his safety, and he resented them for it. As such, Mangala became bossy and authoritarian. No. (laughs) Authoritarian and bossy? Mangala? Demanding that the Stammers never speak their native Hungarian at the dinner table, lest they plot against him. He legitimately became Jerry Stiller from King of Queens. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was this loudmouth old man who called anything that wasn't German low-minded chattering. He would go at them about every single like any single time anybody had like he had something to say about everybody's bullshit on the farm. He was the worst roommate in the world. They called him an impossible man. I, I believe that. Yeah. How old is he here? Is uh, he in his 60s? Uh, he's in his late 50s at this point. Late he's about 50s. 58, 59. Yeah. Unbelievable he's got to live. I know it's not the greatest life, but it's unbelievable he's got to live a life. And a lot of people well, who didn't commit war crimes have lived worse lives. Yeah. Well, for up until the very end, he lived in total secrecy. He would wear low low hats. He wouldn't go anywhere. He literally kept completely to himself. He had almost no friends except for the Stammers. Well, that's the thing is that Geza, the uh, guy that owned the farm with his wife Gita and Mengele, uh, Geza would give Mengele shit right back. He'd just sit there and provoke him. And Geza would sit there and ridicule Mengele's race theories. He'd tell him, like, I'm a Hungarian. I'm just as good as you fucking Aryans. And mm. Mengele would get furious. They'd sit there and have screaming matches. Yeah, the cartoon steam comes out of his ears. His hat <laughs> spins upon his head six inches above. You got some splitting to do? Was that Pedro? <laughs> and since Geza wouldn't take a shit and the Stammer children just tried to ignore Mengele, I mean, can you imagine that? You have a war criminal. I mean, just what? Wa- wa- just walking around your house. But they knew, right? They had to know. They knew. Yeah. So why they didn't knew they just, a if little he was bit. such a colossal pain in the ass? 
Why didn't they just be like, yo, by the way, authorities, we got this guy. Or maybe they would find themselves in trouble for harboring yeah. him for 10 years. Who knows? Yeah, but. they owed him. And they they had known who he was for quite a long time. Mm. Yeah. They were also using his money. Yeah. Everybody was using each other. This was no man's land. They're out here like it is. It's intense, hard living that they're doing. And so they were getting something out of it, too. And they they couldn't fully connect to his crimes because yeah, right. so much shit had come out about it and it's like what you even hear when we were just describing as crimes at Auschwitz it's very difficult for them to believe no one had done the true crime reading that we have that you know that sometimes people will do abominable things when they believe that they're completely validated he was they just didn't know and they mm. didn't know the full extent yeah and since Geza wouldn't take his shit and the Stammer children just tried to ignore him, Gita Stammer was the only one left to listen to Mangala, and she'd have to hear him lecture about philosophy, morality. He'd just, he would lecture for hours about the housekeeping budget. I would rather listen to BTK. I would rather <laughs> listen to him do poetry. Yeah, It's very similar, and he, it sounds like Ted Bundy uh, when he was on the road. Ugh, yeah. the same shit. Between... His intense paranoia, but also the need to lecture it, and show everybody how advanced he is right. over everybody else. Yeah, Megala would even freak out about the placement of the pencils and the pens. He'd yell at the stammers if the writing utensils weren't put back exactly where they were supposed to be after the stammers had used them. You know where that is. My rectum. <laughs> My rectum. <laughs> as far as the workers on the farm went, uh, the workers only knew him as... Pedro, the silent, morose boss who would signal orders instead of speaking them using the same Ugh. movements that he'd use on the ramps at Auschwitz. There's something very Nazi about this guy. Have you noticed? With, like, Pedro, <laughs> he seems, he seems really like, a Nazi, like a worker yeah. type. Like, yeah, it's crazy, crazy uptight. Yeah. Eventually, the Stammers couldn't stand Mangala anymore, so Gerhardt began to integrate Mangala into another set of friends in the hopes that one of them would take the disagreeable old fuck off the Stammer's hands. They tried to pawn Mangala. That needs to be a movie, pawning Mangala. Maybe a no. reality show. It's what we did with my horrible grandmother. <laughs> you just move her from place to place. Uh, finally, uh, Gerhardt found a match. The farm was sold, and Mangala was passed off to Wolfram Bossert. Huh. And Mangala and Bossert hit it off almost immediately, finding they had quite a bit in common when it came to certain opinions. Interesting. Well, they met on NaziDate.com. <laughs> they loved the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and both were huge fans of memory phone toppers. Yeah. Oh. That's a, the, yeah, because that's what's difficult. Because some people like it squishy. I like it squishy. Yeah, um, yeah. No, memory foam. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. So, so eventually, Mangala came clean once again, and Wolfram helped Mangala to integrate back into city life in Sao Paulo. His Mangala... When he was in the city, he had the habit of covering his face with his hands like a scared little bitch every time he walked past someone on the street. No one will think I'm a ghoul if I cover my hands like a ghoul. <laughs> Wolfram told that probably wasn't a good idea because he, he said, you know, Sao Paulo has a population in the millions, but there's only one weird old German who's walking around covering his face with his hands all the time. I am Nosferatu. <laughs> I'm certain there was at least 10 other Germans who oh, doing yeah. the same thing. <laughs> Well, eventually, Mangala moved into a tiny yellow bungalow on the shitty side of Sao Paulo in 1975. Holy hell. Scraping yep. by on $250 a month and plagued with spinal pains, migraines, insomnia, prostate problems, rheumatism, and a permanent swelling in one leg as a result of a tropical insect bite. His main companion during that time of loneliness 
was his 16-year-old gardener, Luis Rodriguez, who would come over to Mengele's house on Sundays so they could watch the wonderful world of Disney together. But he would still scream at the television about the decadence of America. So you literally have him watching Mickey Mouse being like, Mickey thinks he's so fun. He's solving <laughs> mysteries. Solving mysteries. I believe that Donald Duck, he is the one I root for. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's ridiculous. That's something only a Nazi would say. <laughs> Well, of course, Walt Disney, he had some uh, affiliations with the Nazis as well, didn't he? He did not. Well, that, he did not? No, he did not. That, Are you that, sure? I am sure. That was a rumor that was started uh, by uh, unions. Because oh. while he was not a Nazi, he was very anti-worker. Uh, oh. He was not great to his workers. So the those were rumors that were started uh, back during union negotiations. How Walt Disney was nice? not Walt Disney was not an anti-Semite. It just sounds like Marcus is covering up for the Disney crime. <laughs> it is possible. Maybe good for our career, though. I fucking love Donald Duck. Oh, wow. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. So Put know. some pants it's on. It's true. <laughs> it's true. It's a little yeah, bit get, much. Get your cock out of the back of that duck there. My <laughs> goodness gracious and Walt Disney being all mean to those cartoon characters like that give him a living wage <laughs> my god Mickey wants to marry Minnie for crying out loud well it was during this time that Mangala's son Rolf came to visit after a separation of 21 years mm. he begged his son yeah. because in the that he would send letter after letter to Rolf right. being like I've heard news about you but you know I I'm just you know the shames I had to hear it from other people and not from you and and like sounding again like my mom doing the thing where he's just like guilting him and guilting him and then when he finally agreed to come to visit him he sent him this gigantic Byzantine series of directions of like leave here get a fake passport go all like do all this stuff to try to sneak your way right. into the country but then Rolf is just like I just kind of look like my buddy, so I used his passport. Yeah. And yeah. I went over there. And of course, little known fact about Rolf, the way that he got there, he actually had a cork in his butt. And uh, he had had that the entire, for 21 years, he pulled it, and then he sort of farted his way to Mengele. Isn't that strange? Like a blimp. It is cute. Like it's cute. Yeah, it's fun. Well, in the two weeks that they spent together, Ralph found that his father was kind of an asshole. Really? What? Yeah. <laughs> Dad, you're like, well, I would love to hear the family fight between Rolf and Mengele. Well, what the- I f don't want your life. <laughs> <laughs> Varsity well, Blues. Well, it kind of seems like all it was is that it was just kind of an awkward two weeks of Rolf trying to get his father to even admit just a tiny bit that maybe what he did in Auschwitz was a little fucked up. Oh, my because God. Because Rolf had been hearing this shit his entire life, and Rolf was definitely, I mean, he was like, yeah, that shouldn't, he shouldn't have done that. That was fucking awful. Right. And so Rolf left unsatisfied, just like everyone listening right now is about yeah. to leave unsatisfied. No, we've just done this for three hours. <laughs> I cannot be unsatisfied. No, man, that's just called the experience of being with the last podcast. <laughs> okay, well, we're making it up if it's unsatisfying at the end. Well, on the afternoon of February 7th, 1979, Joseph Mengele had a stroke while swimming in the ocean, and he died. He just no, drowned. no, no. He, he just drowned. No, he, he just drowned. <laughs> well, if you watch that documentary, Iconoclast, there are conspiracy theories that he was drowned by the Mossad and left, but the thing is is right. that they no. would have claimed it 
if they did it, I imagine. Well, I you know what I did? Not drown. They no. He uh, there was there were multiple witnesses to say like he was swimming, he had a stroke, and he fucking sank like a stone. Well, what I am doing in my head right now is because I watched the live leak footage of uh, Gaddafi out of Libya mm-hmm. and putting Mengele's head on Gaddafi. <laughs> and that's a bad way to go. <laughs> well, meanwhile, the rest of the world kept looking for Mengele. Nazi hunter Weisenthal said he said that Mangala was in a Nazi colony in Chile. In 1981, the New York Post reported that Mangala had been seen in Westchester. That's where my <laughs> grandparents were. Interesting. <laughs> but what finally spurred the last push to find Mangala was the 40th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz in, on January 27th, 1985. West Germans finally raided the home of the Mengele family lawyer and found a letter from Wolfgang Bessert announcing, quote, the death of our common friend. Authorities traced the letter back to Wolfram in Sao Paulo, where they found a shrine built to Mengele in Wolfram's house still on display six years after Mengele's death. (sighs) Wolfram then led them to the grave where Mengele was buried and the body was exhumed. Despite what anyone might say, it was definitely Mangala. They proved it forensically at the time. Then in 1992, they proved it again with DNA testing. Ugh. So that's it. I mean, that's, that is the story of Joseph Mangala. And while it is a good story, just like most things having to do with the Holocaust, it's terribly unsatisfying. I mean, Mengele was a symbol for the Holocaust from the very beginning. He was a representation of the blind cruelty and the disdain that the Nazis had for the Jews. But in the end, Mengele became a symbol for the dissatisfaction a lot of people had and still have when it comes to justice and the Holocaust. When it comes to this, there is no real balancing of the scales. There is only grief and I am sorry for leaving you with that. We are all sorry. Yeah, he, but I also think a part of it is, at least we know in his last moments, because that's what he said, is that after his son had left, he was like, I just wish I could go back to the hills of Bavaria and write the history of Gunsberg and, and, and sit with my, my degrees and my tweed jacket. That's what he wanted. But he didn't get it. No, he didn't get to live like Gandalf. <laughs> If they had gotten it at some point and they just hung him, it would have been over and he just would have been dead. And we would have had justice. We would have the same feeling of unsatisfaction. At least he got to live the opposite life of anything that he wanted for that period of time. And he died yeah, in pain. And he, did, and he did live miserably and in a paranoid anxiety state for, you know, 20 years. I he do was, that right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all of us. That's yeah, all of exactly. our lives. That is and all none of, of us have committed is, war crimes. People no, have no. lived so much worse lives who didn't hurt anyone. Uh, this Technically, just on a vacation. And I also want to hit you with a couple of terms. If you want some more fun deep dives, look up the Odessa group, which is the group, the belief of a bunch of fucking underground SS members that help facilitate the uh, the rat lines, which is very interesting. And also Opus Dei, Opus Dei which is this weird this inner group that you know, connected to the Vatican that they believe also made money off the rat lines mm. and that they believe that George Bush George Bush Sr. gave a wink to in his inauguration address saying thank you for your Catholic 
with secret society money. Very interesting. <laughs> interesting. And, and on this one, I, I definitely want to give a huge uh, thank you to uh, research assistant Rachel. She also did a lot of great research uh, for Nazi hunters uh, on this episode. And also thank you for sharing that story uh, from your boyfriend, uh, Avi, as well. And also thanks to uh, Carolina. She helped out quite a bit uh, on the uh, Juan Perón research on this episode. Thank you, Carolina. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel's boyfriend, Avi. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. And thank you all for listening. Good work, dog meat. This is a great story we chased down. We did. Um, it's out there. Mangle has been got. This is a long-ass episode. I don't oh, know yeah. what you've been doing during this episode. I hope you took a couple gr- breaks. Hope you masturbated a little bit. No, well, I, um, know I guess that. you could have if you wanted to. <laughs> this is our longest episode um, ever, actually. Is that right? Yeah. Well, look oh, at yeah. that. But we got the motherfucker. At least he's dead. Yep. He, at least he's dead. At least he's dead. Uh, could have been a little bit different. We didn't get him. No there, one got him. There was a lot of revenge taken on a lot of Germans uh, during the... You can look into the history of that. There was a lot of vengeance look, taken. And Kissel although, is just a living revenge against his whole German family just for the, his lifestyle and the way he lives. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but thank you. Very nice. Very nice. Um, all right, uh, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening. If you haven't yet, now the tickets for our live shows, upcoming live shows, they're open for the general public. Open on sale. So check them out. We'll be in Nashville, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Woo. Pittsburgh, Yenzes. We cannot Woo. wait to go see everyone. Woo. And we can announce the march for Bell House, right? The yeah. show at the Bell House. Come on out. The first show is already sold out, but we got some tickets for the second show. Uh, and now those are open. In general as well, I believe, right? Yeah. yeah. We're working out our shit. You come see us run our show for the first time. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, and it's a bit of a stumble through. It's yeah. going to be, be it could just be horrible. It could um, be so terrible. it'll just be us hanging yeah. out. So if something doesn't work, we'll acknowledge you be like, that doesn't work. And then everyone can laugh at how horrible we're doing. Yeah. And we'll have fun. That's the whole point. Uh, give to our Patreon. If thou feelest such generosity. Absolutely. I had a great conversation with the dude who runs the uh, extremely unique oddity store here in New York City for this week's interview. Oh, which one? Mike Zahn. He is the owner of Obscura Antiques and Oddities. And he was very, very fun. So we talked about a lot of stuff. So uh, thank you all so much for giving to our Patreon. And I hope you enjoy our little interview series. Mm -hmm. Patreon.com slash last podcast on the left if you want to get. And don't forget, you can still watch our live show. www.lastpodcastlive.com. Check it out. It's super fun. It's the best $6.66 you'll ever spend. Unless you're hungry, get a sandwich. Yeah. But get if a you sandwich full, first yeah. and then build up the funds yes. again and then get the live show. Uh, again, thank you for all your support. Y'all are the fucking best. Uh, this is man. This has been thick. Yeah, it's been, this has been thick, and it's and and thanks thanks to everyone for being so kind over the last couple of weeks. Yes, through, throughout all of this, it's been a really hard time, and and yeah, we we, we really appreciate everyone's uh, everyone's support during all this. Yep, yeah. it, it means was, a great deal, and, and we're also man, you know, at LP on the left, all our social medias if you want to follow it, and next week. We're going to be getting back to silly shit. Yeah. We're going to do some silly shit for a little bit to give ourselves a bit of a break uh, mentally and y'all as well. And I'm very excited to get back into some... This I mean, is, we're gonna go to a little town called Nilbog, <laughs> uh, which is that's a that's a hint of what we'll be doing next week. One thing I do need I do need to thank someone uh, for for making me smile. Uh, someone uh, some mysterious benefactor sent us a uh, copy of uh, Horse Illustrated in the mail. Oh really? Oh. <laughs> 
that's amazing. It was, it was addressed to Bird Luger, uh, and it was yeah, just a no no name or anything like that. Just someone someone who wanted to make a smile, and uh, it, it definitely did. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Of course, Kevin Barnett, we love you, and uh, thanks. Thank you, Randy, for sending over the beef jerky yeah, once again. Randy did you Captain. get beef jerky in L.A.? No. Yeah, you yeah, loser. Yeah, we yeah, got yeah. it over here on the East Coast. Yeah. We're also freezing to death. So just <laughs> let us have the beef jerky. Yeah, Randy Katzen, best beef jerky in the world. Love it. Thank dude. you, Randy. We miss you. Loud through that. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gene. Hail me. Don't start singing Mangala. <laughs> what? Mangala. Magustulations, everyone. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction, and it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins as soon as I wake up. And a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod.